Welcome to Lost Link, the podcast with Muff Barber and Yogi Nickerson, where CL data is disabled and no topic is off limits about unmanned aircraft or the United States Air Force. The views expressed in this podcast are solely those of the participants and do not represent the United States Air Force, the Department of Defense, or any other federal agency. This podcast contains some profane language and is not suitable for all audiences. That Douglas MacArthur. On the fields of friendly strife are sown the seeds that on other days, on other fields, will bear the fruits of victory. So a re-echoing of the classical uh, notion of the agog, the training field of the Spartans. Ah, yes. Uh, that will... In the Olympic Games, which was all preparation for war fighting, and to train young men how to be warriors. My, how far we have come with the Olympics, huh? We shouldn't be doing the Olympics in China. <laughs> well, I'm talking about dipshit sports. Yeah. <laughs> Curling. Um, Curling, not a warrior sport. Yeah, I mean, it was for entertainment, but uh, it had a... Its direct value was that and understood to be as such. Yeah. And it uh, continues. And a the... celebration of human greatness, which the Greeks were very obsessed with for a variety of reasons. But um, so I largely dislike technology in the Olympics. I want, dude, you're a swimmer. You get to wear a fucking Speedo and shave. That's it. I don't care how fast a man in a specially designed water phobic suit and all this other fun stuff can swim. I don't know how fast can a fucking human being go. Yeah. I uh, I think any quote-unquote sport that does not have, at some point in its execution, uh, a the full exertion of the body being applied at some point during the execution of that sport, if that is not the case, it is not a sport. It does not belong in the Olympics. It is an activity. It's a game. It is a game. Yeah. Right. Uh, for example, uh, golf is very close. It's teetering. Well, the right? uh, the, the tee shot takes a lot. That's you, you know, know that's, that's, that's that's why I said it's teetering. Yeah. And there is some stuff going on, but like for me, golf is extremely borderline. What about the the precision? Yeah. Of golf. The precision part of it is is part of it, right? But what makes it a sport is the exertion and like the fact that all that precision has to be wrapped up in a in a fully athletic motion. Yeah, um, certainly on the initial drive. Uh, curling is not a sport, <laughs> right? Bowling is not a sport. Um, um, bobsled, no. It's an activity. <laughs> There's, it's an well, activity. Well, they all they all run really fast at the beginning, right? Yeah, um, that's why oh. I said. But like, I think all of those those are like very clearly, or not very clearly, but those are very clearly like on the border, right? All right. Uh, sailing and ski and, jumping. Yeah, uh, and certainly, I think when you add more 
more technology is required to access the sport, like what yeah. you were saying, it pushes the presumption further towards activity or game. Yeah. Um, like I think a lot of the winter sports are not uh, like a lot more of them are not sports. As as a man who grew up playing hockey and has hockey's legit destroyed teeth. Hockey's legit. <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of equipment required to play that game. Yeah, it's not a catch all sport. It's yeah. not a catch all, right? And the rest of hockey is extremely right, but football has like similar levels of equipment. Yeah, right? but no one's going to argue that that's not a sport either. Yeah, but I'm I'm talking like like skiing right like it, that's skiing is a sport but like it's closer it's like less cross bigger. country yeah where they gotta like pull up and or the one shoot where they're 22 oh yeah like the try the skiing triathlon <laughs> yeah, or whatever. yeah 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 exactly awesome uh well yogi it looks like uh, you and i are lost link again um we kind of faded into it this time so i think uh, this is probably just an attenuation thing so uh we just got fun with the contact hopefully they'll be out here and we'll be able to just kick the attenuation up one or two, or kick the attenuation down, down. one or two. Uh, see where we get from there. But uh, in the meantime, I thought we would talk about the instruction okay. versus teaching. So instructing versus teaching. Um, well, like in the, in the, specifically in the, the Air Force context. Yeah, yeah, in the Air Force context, right? So, uh, I mean, starting more broadly, right? Um, there's a... One way, and I looked this up, so I'll, I'll just read this directly. Okay. Uh, teachers are often called instructors because their job is to instruct, to give knowledge or instructions, pass that from, you know, their brain into, into the student. Sure. Um, the subtle difference between teach and instruct is that you can teach pretty much anything. History, um, philosophy, physics. You can, you know, teach somebody how to, say, fly an MQ-9. But the difference, uh, instruction, when you instruct somebody, you are giving them a set of tools or tasks to do something very pointed and specific. Like, it's almost like, I think of it, the difference between procedure and technique. Yeah. Right? Uh, the instructions say, you need to glue this little piece uh, to this other small piece in your little tester's model kit before you can glue on this next piece to start building out your, you know, your new C8 Corvette model, right? Because this this is the instructions. And so those those types of things come with instructions. This is how, in a very specific pointed way, you get from, you know, start to finish on a particular task. Uh Whereas teaching is more of a a grander ideal and seeks more understanding and like a depth of knowledge that instruction doesn't necessarily try to get you to. Yeah, I'll buy that. Uh, that actually squares with what I was going to say. I think in large part, although I, I didn't go to I didn't go to Webster's for it, but. Um, I didn't I'm, either. I went to vocabulary.com, sucker. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the consummate professionals that we are. Um, only the best for our Lost Link listeners. Uh, where's our money, vocabulary.com? All right. The, um, the, uh, um, but I've always, I've always, I, I kind of started thinking about this idea uh, back uh, when I entered the throes of pilot training. Um, 
and we won't get into that just yet, but right, they're very like you said, they're 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 overlapping concepts, right? There's a student and a master, like someone who knows the knowledge, knows the information, at least ostensibly. Yep. And someone who doesn't, right? And there's a in both cases, there's a transmission of information, um, and and that knowledge from the master to the student, right? Um, but the connotation is very different with those words. Um, and the way that I've always thought about it is that it's, I think it matches with what you were saying, but the way that I've always thought about it is that the onus of the, the responsibility for the learning uh, is different in either, in both of those. Um, and that with a teacher, it, the onus is on the teacher to reach the student, right? To have the, to have the student learn, right? They need to find new avenues for explaining things, different metaphors, right? Adapt to different learning styles for students. And ultimately, if the student doesn't get it, right, it is on the teacher, right? The teacher failed, right? Uh, the, the, the teacher had insufficient depth of knowledge to be able to find uh, uh, some other way to explain yeah, something. Right? Yeah, but the, the burden or the onus is on the teacher, it is on the master in the, in, when we're talking about teacher. And that's inverted uh, with instruction, where the instructor, at least in my mind, looking at this dichotomy, presents the information, and it's on the student to either you know to understand it and pick it up and run with it, and if they don't, that's on them, right, for being unable to grasp the material, you know, uh, not motivated enough, but that's on them, right? I'm I am presenting you the I am presenting you the material. Yeah. I'm instructing you on what to do. The meat's on the table. You pick it up or you don't, right? And that and the the onus and the burden is on the student to yeah. ensure that the learning happens. And that's how I think. That's what I think the difference is between those two terms. Okay. Um, at least practically, uh, or at least for myself, um, when I've thought about yeah, it. For, yeah, that's um, that squares. Instructor, I don't think has uh, does not denote pride or craft in that transmission in in the actual thing. It's much more functional, which I think it okay. was what leaped out to me when you were talking. Yep. Um, it's much more functional, whereas the teacher, it's a vocation. It's a because the burden is on the teacher to teach and be successful in reaching the student. Right? There's more pride and ownership of that process. Yeah where instructor implies less of an ownership of that process, implies less of an ownership of that process. Sure. And that it's just more functional. I'm data dumping to you, dude. Deal with it, right? Yeah. Like, it's on you, dog. Um, I'm, I'm doing you the favor of expressing uh, this stuff to you. And, and let's, let's see if you can learn it. Yeah, so in, um, in, in the instructional mindset, the student needs to come in with the motivation to soak up every scrap and like take everything that this instructor yeah. has to offer. Whereas the, uh, in the teaching model, the, yeah, it's the teacher has to show up and like the motivation is still required. The instructor has to bring his own motivation for his craft to inspire yeah. the student yeah. on the other side to want to have that same motivation. Yeah. The, the burden is on the teacher to yeah. inspire rather than the other way around yeah. in that case, right? Like ultimately, like where does the buck stop, right? Right. With instruction, the the buck or the blame goes to the student. 
the with teaching the buck or the blame in the event of like failure or you know teaching transmission failure of yeah. knowledge will go to the teacher i mean how many times have you seen <laughs> like students wash out of you know some air force training program and like is there really that much work done or inspection done on the instructors no <laughs> like any subsequent like review of their yeah instructor ability and <laughs> it's always just like this guy sucked he sucked at this he sucked at this oh student by the way and uh he's gone yeah and i don't think that instructor is completely bereft of positive connotations yeah um i think in particular like in the military or the air force context there's a hard-edged quality to it and there's a aspirational aspect of instructing um, uh, from the perspective of the students right like that you need to bring motivation because this is a worthy of your effort right and it, it, it uh right there's more of like a tough love like school of hard knocks and learning to that which yeah which is not necessarily a bad thing as, as right? we discussed like it, it can be positive as we discussed in previous uh episodes right like there's this there's a particular glory uh and a particular uh platform or uh the 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 role of pilot is elevated to such a degree or has been historically that we can afford to have that tough love and you have to earn that to get into these ranks yes well, that's going to lead right into to this. So um, there, the motive, the instruction, at least is the way the Air Force applies it. Um, my first point is going to be that I think it assumes like a, an economy of motivation of, of massive surplus, if you would, that everybody coming in, right, is willing to give their left nut to be a pilot. Yeah. Endure any amount of abuse, study all the damn time. And take whatever licks they get on their rides and get right back on the horse and keep going. And if it's not, you know, the next time. And if if it's not that way, GTFO. And if you're not that way, GTFO. Yeah. Right? Um, and that was great when uh, piloting had more uh, social cachet, mysticism, desire, right across the board. I, I think, like, leaning very heavily into that um, that tradition and, and assuming that same motivation economy um, is a bit myopic. The flying ain't what it used to be. Right. Right. Uh, as, as more autopilots and stuff come online and yeah, computers and, do more. And it's not as cool. Um, it is cool, but it's not as cool as it used to be. Yeah. Right. And uh, to assume that everybody's going to be that way is not, is not realistic. Um, there's, in, in pilot training, I used to observe like all the cognitive, I used to call it cognitive dissonance in everybody, well, all the students, where they were, they thought that being a pilot was the coolest damn thing in the world. And they would say that like, so it was like on one hemisphere of the brain or frontal lobe. Yeah. Right. But their experience, they would sit there and they would talk about how boring it was, 
how stupid it was, how <laughs> like all they were doing twenty five thousand feet, all the autopilots on, and all and all I was getting and request getting, ten degrees left for weather. Yeah, and they're getting yelled at for like this needle has to match this needle, right? There's yeah. no like mysterious art of flying, and it's just like boiled down to like when this needle says this, this needle needs to be here. And you're just going to fucking peg those needles, right? There's no, yeah. there's no mysticism to any of this. There's no nothing, right? And then when I go out in town, the people hate me. So, but, but like, I still get to, but I'm going to be a pilot is what they would say otherwise, because they're still wrapped up in that inherited, and that's the key, inherited mythology that doesn't attach in the real world. Um, and I think our instruction model is still based on this inherited mythology in large part. Sure. And, uh, frankly, uh, I think needs to soften a bit. Um, if we want to keep attracting top tier talent and keeping top tier talent flying our, our effing airplanes. Yeah. Um, so the, I don't think this premise is lost on senior leaders anywhere. I think they understand it, uh, and they want they want their instructors to be motivational. They want their so so I'm talking squadron commanders, sure, um, and I'm I'm even talking like you know two star generals, like the General Wills, the uh, major general in charge of AETC or the 19th Air Force rather. Um, which is AETC for all flying operations, right? So that he does all pilot training, he does all RPA training, etc. And he and the you know his organization, they want the Air Force wants this to become a much less industrial age process because that's always been my my thought process uh, with all training, and I've done. I've done a shitload of training. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've been through a lot of formal courses. and yeah. More than me. They are not fun. They have never been fun. Not like the only time that something is fun is like the ride before the check ride in that particular phase of training. Or your dollar ride. Or your dollar ride, right? right? Up there, you get a free ride. You're just up there cloud surfing with some iron major in the reserves who's having a good old time. Um, or you've, you've just done like your last formation ride in the T six and you're getting ready to go do your form check. And in that, in that moment you have, you have reached like a pinnacle, I guess that's like, you're confident enough finally to go do that. Right. Yeah. Um, but get it, dude, holy shit, man. Getting there, getting to that point is terrible. It is not fun at all. And I don't expect like any like the learning to do something new sucks. <laughs> it's stressful because it's all prefrontal cortex. It is all like I am I am putting so much work and effort into this to make this thing happen, whatever it is, whether it's learning to program in a new language, fly a T6, learn the rules of a new sport you've never played. It sucks initially and it's it's easy to just jump off that train and be like yep fuck it right um but your instructors in the, in an air force context i think they need to be there because they know it's going to suck 
that, that the human experience of doing that sucks. And if they like figured out how to show a little bit more empathy for that yeah. in those moments and be like, yo dog, I know this is going to suck. I'm on your team and we're going to fucking get you there to the max extent possible. Right. Um, but my experience has always been the dude in the backseat of the T6 or, uh, you know, instructors in, a, in an MQ-9 schoolhouse, like, more like, what the fuck are you doing up there? What, what's fucking wrong with you? You know what I mean? And like, yeah. berating you from the backseat because they know what's going on. They, they're, they're envisioning this whole thing. But, you know, oh, you got too far, too close to the back of the MOA to be able to execute the split S. Uh, and come back around because you did, you're a dickhead in the contact phase of pilot training, right? And you don't really understand turn radiuses yet and like how yeah. airspeed, all that stuff applies and it comes together. And these dudes are yelling at you. And in those moments, you're just like, all right, I'm out. I, I am checked out of this ride. Done deal. What do I have to do to get back on the ground? Yeah. And that's uh, fucking terrible. My, my first ever... Uh instructional ride in the t6 so following first one follow, following following the dollar ride <laughs> well, there was some other stuff that led up to it uh where i was not uh well all right so i was late to the brief <laughs> because like when they all the ips went into the little flight commander office they changed the pucks around yeah and i was in the corner like furiously getting all my motherhood tech admin ready and uh, they moved me up by 15 minutes when they brought the board back out. And they just placed the board out there and they didn't say anything. Yeah. And I didn't know that they could move the pucks around from what was on the board prior to that. And uh, I mean, it's your first, yeah. your first real story. Yeah. So I thought we were, I thought we were taking off at, I thought we were briefing at 4.15 or 4.15. Yeah. Well, sucker, I'm briefing at four, right? And the IP had told me the day prior that like you wanted to start on time for sure because he was attached and wanted to go somewhere else like as soon as our ride was done, right? And go back to his office job or whatever. Um, so it's like 4.10 and I'm sitting there. So I'm, he, he expects that I would have been walking over and I didn't realize he was sitting at a corner of a desk fuming and someone like told me like, hey, like, dude, the captain's over there. And he's like, he, you're late. And I'm like, oh shit. And I like, grabbed all my in-flight guides and stuff and like ran yeah. over there and I put all the stuff down and I start going into my mother to attack him. And he stands up, he slammed all of my stuff, like threw it against the wall, cussed me out in front of everybody for about 10 minutes. And then was like, okay, brief. And like, I've been on football teams with like hard ass <laughs> coaches. So I was able to sit there and like start. And then later we suit up, we're in like the jet or we're in like the little truck going out to the flight line. And I just hate this guy. And he's like, and already at this point, and I'm like, you know, F you dude. And, uh, he's like, Hey, I know that was like pretty testy back there, but like, you know, we're going to go fly. It's going to be great. And yeah, uh, it's like the moment he, re he realized he fucked up and he's trying to save it. <laughs> well, <laughs> so we get up in the MOA and it's my first fucking ride. I've never done a stalls and falls, mm -hmm. uh, profile before. Like, so I'm up there droning, like going like, Oh shit, what are my parameters? Okay. I just did the nose high. Like what the fuck, you know, like. And so we're just droning in the MOA and he's getting impatient. He starts banging on the glass right behind my head. 
screaming at me, like making fun of the fact that I'm from grad school and I'm too stupid to do a profile. But like I went to grad school right at the academy, yeah. just yelling at me. And dude, every time I, fl- like the rest of that ride and every time I flew with him, I definitely had a thought of uh, pulling the, like not that I would seriously, but like a little, <laughs> a little bit of a fantasy of pulling the ejection handle and burning his fucking face off, you know? Like, yeah. and that's all I could think about every time I flew with him. I'm pretty sure they had the... Uh... And it's just like they controlled their own ejection seat, right? Well, at least, <laughs> well, they did. No, no, no. So, like, if the whole thing was that they had to go first, right? So, for ejection and pulling, yeah, the guy in the back has to pull first because if the guy in the front pulls first, it, the rocket motors will fuck him up, yeah, in the back seat. So, I'm like, all right, dude. Like, and I would just, there's like, I'd sit there and I'd be like, yeah, just hit this glass one more time, motherfucker. Yeah. Right. Like, uh, and that was not a good learning environment. No. And it's like, the flying's not that fucking hard, you know? Like, just teach me some shit, dog. Why does it have to be like this? Right. So, uh, kind of sad yet humorous anecdote aside, um, I think everybody wants... So, that, so just to be clear, that, so that's one experience, right? And that's easy to chalk up to, you know, one, one instructor and like, just doesn't have that vibe. I've had multiple experiences like that. Yeah. From multiple instructors across multiple yeah. you know, platforms, right? I've got a list here of like specific experiences. I'm not going to go into oh. all, all of them or any of them. <laughs> yeah, I thought you were like going to ramble off their names. Like you can remember all their fucking I can names. Remember, <laughs> I can remember most of their names or at least their call signs. Yeah. Um, that particular guy, I can't. I know he looks like he's a fat fuck but, uh, <laughs> reservist. But, um, Is that, this at Columbus? Yeah, I was at Columbus. And you were in... Uh, was it the 41st? Yeah. Buzzsaws. Yeah. Yeah. Because I remember this major that I talked about that did my dollar ride. He was kind of a heavy set guy. I can't imagine he would. I mean, you went to pilot training in 14? 14 to 16. All right. I can't imagine that he was still there. Yeah. You know, seven or eight years later, but he's a reservist. So maybe. Yeah. I have some good examples too. And we'll get to them in the course of this. Yes. But um, it's like beating a dog though, right? Like if you hit a dog... They'd remember that one bad time yeah. far more aggressively than they remember all the times pre or post where you gave them a bone. Right? Sure. So, like, so there's a little bit of just like operant psychology and of how all that stuff works. But okay. Um. But I think everybody wants like to push everything a little more towards teaching. I don't think I think you were talking about this before we got started, but yeah, I agree that. I don't think the instructional institutional model, we like we can ever really go away from that and we can't go to like straight teaching, right? right. There's, there's a structure and there is an industrial quality to what we have to do that dictates that. So I think it falls, I think it falls to the individuals and, and, and yeah, to say this word culture mm-hmm. of the instructors and, and really specific inherited cultural practices and the instructional mindset um, that have to be abolished. Like we're not going to get rid of instruction and I don't think we can. Yeah. And, and it's not, not good to get rid of it in this context, but the individual instructors need to be pulled towards teaching in my opinion more aggressively. And the way we have to do this, we have to get to the nut of specific inherited mindsets and practices um, that I think can be altered within that larger instructional model. Okay. Um, so before we get there, 
do you have any thoughts on why the Air Force and in an instructional unit, say, you know, a formal training unit, has to rely on a more industrial process and can't, can't as an as, as a organization be more teacher-oriented? I'm curious if the Navy, with since you know how the Navy doesn't have like set graduation timelines and yeah. shit, if their instructors, edge like flight training instructors, if they edge closer to teaching than the other way around. I, I didn't go to Navy pilot training, so I don't know. Yeah. Uh, that's a tough one. Well, you didn't go to Navy pilot training either, so, yeah. you know. Merely made the question into the void. Yeah, I think uh, I think there needs to be there is, and this is going to preempt maybe some of the stuff I was going to talk about later. But there is a certain amount of of screening that is inherent mm-hmm. to all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, the 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 the, but I have to be very careful when I say that because. I think that 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 screening or like finding people who right can't hack it shouldn't be doing it right um, is not for the individual instructors or like the line instructors that's not their job but in the course of doing their damnedest to teach the student right the model still needs to be at a higher you know at a higher level like able to filter and grab these people and reassign them to different like AFSCs. Yes, yeah, certainly. Um this is And so we can't and and there's a certain amount like just looking at industrial, you know, scales of economy for pr- production of students, right? Like we need to produce a high quality amount of students in an efficient way. Uh, or high quality, high number of students as, as efficiently as we can. Um you know, and Quality and quantity are not, you know, they, they trade on each other in some respects, right? Sure. But quantity uh, is definitely the yeah, prerequisite. Yeah. And if you to wanted quality. to, if you wanted to value quality above quantity, right, we could do that. Um, if we wanted to value quantity above any consideration for quality, we could do that too, right? That would be absurd, but yeah. we could do that too. Um, like think of the Luftwaffe just slamming like late in the war, just slamming pilots through yeah. pilot training because it's like, fuck it. We just need a pink body. I don't give a fuck who yeah. you are. Right? Up, down, left, right. Fly yeah. through that body Get out formation. there. Some <laughs> Bud Anderson is going to shoot you down in his P-51D, but hopefully he won't shoot you in the cockpit and you can just go 180 and, and bail out over yeah. Germany and make it back to a base, right? Because we got planes. We don't got pilots, right? Yeah. That's where the Luftwaffe was at um, late in the war. But that is not... So I think like maintaining some of that is, is important because not that like high schools don't do that, right. Or colleges don't do that, but, um, a more aggressive fixture on that is warranted. But the problem is where does the screening, where is that embodied or become alive? Right. And I think the problem, I think a problem is that instructors internalize that screening aspect of it. When in my opinion, that is not their effing job, right? That is, if you're a line instructor just doing a daily ride, that is not your effing job to screen this guy. That is the job of the squadron commander and the group commander. like And, and the process. And the process, 
right? But like your job is to assume that this guy, like certainly like once they're out of DOS, right? That this guy, you need to assume that this guy is going to make it and you're going to do your damnedest, right? And if he doesn't by the process, that is not for your consideration, right? right? And I think there are specific, when they get ground down or they think about, or they internalize aspects of that screening as the line instructor, um, I think it's, it's extremely detrimental to learning. Um, and, and, and like, and like I said, it's not their job. Like the, those individuals need to be more in a teaching mindset within a larger instructional framework, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like their mindset and their practices need to be teaching. The framework is, is an instructional framework, if that yeah. makes sense. So. Yeah. And you also have to fight the, uh, the human nature of this, right? Like some student sucks. He's not picking it up nearly as quick. Instructors talk and they're, you know, souring the, the mindset of the subsequent instructors that, that, you know, they go into it with this mindset of, all right, this guy already kind of sucks. And as soon as that like starts to show itself again, you're like, oh man, here we go. Um, and you end up with, you know, there's a snowball effect in the same, same way that there's like a halo effect. Yeah. Right. Um, I think what you're getting at with the, like the instructional model that exists at kind of the organizational level. So call that the, maybe the operational level of, sure. of managing all this, right? Yeah. Is, um, we'll go with that. That's why we call it programmed flying training, right? The only thing, and I think this like affects so much of the organization, not just like in training, but in promotion and in everything else. The, the reason that the process, so let, let's say promotion, the year group that you are in, is like arguably the most important thing. Yes. Right. Because if I find out someone's in my year group, I I'm kind of treating them a little differently yeah. than if they're even just plus one or minus one. Yes. And that derives from the fact that the air force cannot control the rate at which people leave. They can, they call it stop loss and that sucks. But can you imagine if you had to stop loss pilots? Holy shit. Um, well, the, the, <laughs> the outrage would be oh, incredible. Um, it's a short-term game for a long-term loss. But what they can control is acquisition, right? Like they're not having a problem getting the numbers of people that they need every year to fill the ranks. Their problem is on the other end. Yeah, after they've experienced what the Air Force gives them. Correct. So, but but it's, they have to, but, but they have to know that the Air Force and the organization has to know, okay, I need this many people. Right. And so they work from their target backwards. I need this many pilots. Okay. This is how many P pilots, you know, historically over the last 50 years tend to wash out of a program based upon, you know, this, this, this rate, like we'll call it 3%. Right. Sure. So they can factor that all the way back and they go all the way back to acquisitions and accepting people into the academy and saying, okay, this is how many people I need to bring into all of my various accession programs so that I can graduate this many people on this you know, this into this year group so they can all go to training for these couple of year groups, etc. What are you looking for, John? You drank my Topo Chico. I did. I did. Wow, we, we can get more. Motherfu um, <laughs> motherfucker. Um, I was like looking for it. I'm like, where the fuck did it go? All right, sorry. So we, uh, so there's an industrial process that I'm has paying to really, happen. I'm paying really close attention off. <laughs> to what you're there's saying. A, there's an industrial process that has to happen 
right? Yeah. That that occurs at the operational kind of strategic level planning uh, for an air force. The va- the problem is the vast majority of instructors. I mean, instruct instructing in the air force is not an operational level concern. It's tactical level, like you and this student, and we're going to get you as much knowledge into that brain as fast as possible, right? Because over the last number of umpteen years, we have whittled this program down to the rate, like to basically as short as possible to get the quality of person at the end that we think we need with an acceptable loss rate along the way, because there's going to be some people that can't figure it out fast enough. It's not to say that they would never figure it out, nor would they, is it to say that they would not be the absolute best at some point in the future. It's to say, I'm the Air Force and I don't have time to deal with this and like monkey around. Yeah. Because I have a budget and I have this many, it costs this much to do this and I can only pump out this many people and blah, 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 blah. And so that is at the the core of all that we do. This is the core of the syllabus, the core of the task training list, all the other things that we have to do at an operational level. But too many people at the tactical level down here of instruction don't make that work. They, they understand that and they don't keep the, the larger goal and not, not even the larger goal, the, the, the smaller, more tactical level goal in mind of I have this dude across the table and my job in this moment, the next six hours is to get on this dude's team, establish some rapport, get him to want to learn from me. I have a lot of things that I know and I need to be good at translating that knowledge to this dude in a means that he or she can accept and process quickly. So I need to understand them. I need to understand their background. I need to understand what their education was. I need to try and find metaphor that works and that I can communicate and convey to this guy. Or multiple know, metaphors. Or multiple, right. In, in various aspects of... Because one might click, right? Correct. And that's my job as a teacher Yeah, is to sort this particular student out, Yeah, right? Um, and the instructor... And the instructor Crack it, cracks open his 3-3 and says, okay, step one, <laughs> we're going to set this airspeed. Check. Okay, next, we're going to maneuver to a position four to six nautical miles away from the target. Check. I think you're talking about GBU drops there, right? <laughs> or whatever, right? No, but that's the, um, that's the 3-3. But yeah, exactly. Like GBU so drops, yeah. whereas the instructor or the teacher, so I have to start with instruction. Yeah to get that baseline knowledge, but the, the teaching comes from the why and linking all the little pieces together and painting the larger picture with multiple colors so that they can see the grandiosity of what it is that we're doing and why we're doing it. Yeah. I agree with that. I think, I think too many instructors uh, either for cynicism or being worn down or just lack of compassion. Do get worn down is a real thing. <laughs> yeah. But they, they internalize that operational, the operational system in, in their, in their, t- in their personal expression of what they're doing. Yeah. Um, and that's the real, f- the real problem in my mind. That's not the, it's not the instructional system, uh, or like the, 
constraints of that operational instructional model yeah and the the goals of that system and the constraints that are placed upon it it's the way that the individuals carry themselves within that um and the way it matters i mean it's a little personal to me because i it ended up working out for the best but i you know with a couple exceptions so much hated my instructors and thought they were um at least in pilot training and there was some at Holloman that kind of fit into this mold. Back in um, your uh, IQT days? For MQ1, yeah. Yeah. Um, dude, I thought they were some of the most demented and dissolute, <laughs> dissolute individuals. <laughs> like like viscid, viscid sacks of swine refuse. And I, and I did not want to join them. I was like, yeah. you guys are horrible human beings. You are terrible at teaching. Like you're, I, I'm a smart guy and I'm asking questions and like, you, why is it so adversarial all the time? Uh, like if you can't teach me, like get fucked you, right? This is kind yeah. of, you know, maybe, that, maybe my arrogance is showing, but, um, I, I certainly felt that way. And, um, <laughs> I am Yogi Nickerson. Okay. Yeah. Well, if you was, can't teach me. Yeah. You can't teach anybody. Yeah. That was kind of what I thought. Right. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. um, We've all thought that at some point. Yeah, but like it ended up, it was so bad that even in the T1 where I was like, you know what? Like, dude, put drones, put MQ1s, MQ9s at the top of my drop sheet. Yeah. I want to get the fuck away from all of you fucking F, you know, muff F words. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and like it ended up being the best, one of the serendipitously, one of the best things ever. Yeah. Because then... You know, I got to, you know, got CMR, went through all the stuff. And turns out the MQ-1 at that time and then the MQ-9 later was pretty fucking sweet to fly. And like some of the stuff that I originally wanted to do, you know, I got to experience Nobody it. else was doing it. And no one else was doing it. I got to experience it, right? And, and you know, was it worth in the end? Great. But like my decision to put that on my drop sheet for out of T1s. Yeah. Um, and I actually did fairly well in T1s, like T6s, not, not so much, but, um, in T1s, I, I did fairly well. I think it was bottom of the top third. So, I mean, I could have gotten, you know, a heavy to a good base yeah. probably. And, uh, it was pretty controversial. Like I had to talk to flight commanders and the squadron <laughs> commander, like, cause they, cause they, uh, they rightly viewed it as an insult yeah. that I was doing that. Um, you know, I said the right things in their office to uh, of assuage them that, you know, this is just what I want to do. And like, I think it's the way of the future. And I didn't believe that at the time. I was just like, fuck this fingers up to both of you guys. But over my dead body, was I going to let those assholes wash me out of their effing program? Right. Yeah. So, um, was also my mindset. So, um, like I was going to finish it despite them. Right. Even though yeah. I, I, I effing hated them, all of them, uh, with the exception of like two or three dudes. Um, so that's why it's a little bit personal, but like, I don't think it should have been that way. And I maybe that's, and maybe that's me, but, and maybe I didn't have as much of like a love of like flying at all costs that like yeah. I was willing to like put that aside the way I was being treated. Yeah. Um, but so maybe that's on me. Uh, I too respect, did but, not care enough about flying Yeah. to put up with the level of stress and the attitude of the instructors there. So I too put MQ ones first yeah. uh, on my, on my dream sheet, having done, you know, averagely well through T ones, not the best, not the worst. Right. And, uh, like the MQ one community and subsequent MQ nine community has been a little, 
<laughs> Definitely junior. There's been a lot of a, a lot of changes, a lot of changes in attitude and mentality and things like that over the years. But I loved it. Yeah, I loved it because there was a lot of room for uh, thinking, a lot of room for understanding, and it was also just you're surrounded by all, a bunch of dickheads. At least at the time. Uh, when I started doing this, 2009, 2010, yeah. you're surrounded by a bunch of reasonably competent pilots who got pulled from their uh, other cockpits. Yeah. And so they were all crusty and just bitter as hell, right? And were that's an easy market or easy environment for you to shine if you show any interest and aptitude. You know what I mean? And given my computing background, like I just, dude, I recatted in the first year. Yeah. I was like, nope, I'm, I, I don't need to be an 11 anything else. Like, just make me an 11 you, and I'm I'm flying RPAs for the rest of my Air Force career. Yeah, I do the same thing. They tried to pull me back to heavies yeah. against my will because the math. Was, you had to fight so that a bit, right? Yeah, I had to fight it a bit, but I got that 11 you stamp, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I basically said, yeah. I want to be an 11 you, and my squadron commander was like, all right, consider it done. <laughs> it was yeah. like there was, was not no quite as, fight, not quite as easy for me, <laughs> um, but. Uh, and unfortunately, the RPA community lost a bunch of dudes that wanted to stay. Certainly in that time period, if they were, because yeah. most of the guys that I went through pilot training with were two-year groups below me. Mm -hmm. Those guys, there was like, I could think of like two or three at the 20th who wanted to stay, who got pulled against their will. Yeah. And because I was older, I was able to make a little more... Bigger uh, stink. Yeah, a little more cogent, uh, Im impactful arguments, right? Gotcha. As to why I should, they should make an exception for me. Um, those guys... No, like this is see if you're going to Altus later, dude. Yeah. And a couple of them really didn't want to do that. They wanted to stay with the MQ9. I'm curious what their thoughts of, on that process are now, but oh, they're probably happy now. Yeah. I talked to one of them. He's, he's happy. He's just, yeah. They he's just didn't want to go through more training and yeah. go through that experience again and go through another yeah. formal course to get their balls kicked in. Probably the majority <laughs> of it. Well, we've been talking kind of generally and I think that the way you get around this is we got to talk about some specific things that happen in Air Force flight training. Okay. Um, and first, I, I think you already touched on it. This is one that drove me nuts. And, I, and there might be a good reason for this, um, but I think it can be softened. Uh, there's, this there's this idea that the people that learn first are learning at best in pilot training. Yeah. And that is like absolutely not the case. Yep. Um, like just because someone like it clicked for them first doesn't mean that they're going to not figure it out, you know, rapidly in like two to three rides or that later on in their career, they're not going to be way better than that guy who, you know, on his contact to was like crushing the pattern. Right. But of course, um, and I think instructors get really caught up in that, like that, whoever like figures that up, like who, who has that little, you know, first makes it over the bar. Like it's built into the grading system too. Cause your dailies affect everything, right? They do here at Holloman. They did in pilot training, right? It's, right. it's whether you get threes and fours on your dailies is what matters. Right. And then your check ride, but your dailies matter so much. But, um, I think instructors really have to take a step back and this might be a systemic thing related to the grading as well. Um, but, you know, just because this guy doesn't get it right now, he might, you know, you have to keep in mind, he might be awesome at it 
two blocks from now, two years from now. Of course. Right? Yes. And it is, it is not your job to assess whether the student has the right stuff right now on his TR2, right? And, um, and I think that's a little bit tied into the way that the grading system works. I, I, yeah. think, I think that the daily ride should, not, should be completely unweighted. When, Here. when it comes to uh, like your bomb score, yeah, uh, or your rack and stack at the end of pile train, I think it should be I think it should be evals only or like check rides only, or they do like a mini check ride at the end of each block, right? Sure. Because um, I don't I don't give a fuck whether this student how quickly he got how there. quickly he got there, right? But like if he if he's getting a you know killer check ride or like acing his AKC eight like his capstone, yeah, like fuck it, right? But like the fact that the system we have to grade everybody down every item right pushes people more into that evaluator mindset yeah more into that screening mindset so that's one systemic thing that i would say Here, rather. before before we transition i want to read you a quote from a uh god i can't remember who she was uh her name is joe Bo- or joe bowler b-o-a-l-e-r um she was on another podcast i listened to and when she said this i was like i had to rewind it a couple times and jot this down because this was this is, this is perfect. Uh, I do think that our school system is set up to value good memorizers who can re- reproduce what a teacher is showing them and push away those creative deep thinkers, often slow thinkers. They think slowly and deeply, and they often get the idea early on that they can't be good at math or other subjects. So yeah, I think most of the subject, mo- mo- many of those subject people are the ones who go on and do amazing things. So like, the school system is, is, is she's talking about the exact same thing we are. The industrial process tries to find the people that pick it up quickly and pushes them, you know, ahead and automatically thinks anybody who picks it up a little bit slower for whatever reason is clearly not as good. Well, because sometimes the person who's picking up slower is not as good, right? Sometimes, yep. But Sometimes it's not the case, right? Correct. Or, you know, right. Sometimes, some, sometimes slow is slow. Sometimes slow is deeper, right? Yes. And uh, I was going to talk about that more in relation to quibbling late, later on. Quibbling? Quibbling. All <laughs> right. As, as an as yeah. inherited concept. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How we, um, how we shit on quibblers and thou shalt shut the fuck up into my debrief. Yeah. <laughs> um, but specifically, right, the grading system, identifying who learns fastest, it is related to the same thing. But are there these, what you just quoted is, is related. But I think it's one thing. And, and so there's a systemic thing where I think like the grade, one solution could be to have the grade sheets, like the daily rides, like we have to mark their progress, but like it's not affecting the bomb score. And maybe it's... What is this bomb score? Board order of merit. All right. Or like... The rack and stack, at, yeah, yeah, for, yeah. for pilot training, because like for DG and drops and stuff like that. Right. Okay. Because I don't remember that from pilot training at all. I didn't. Bomb is probably not the correct term for pilot training. But yeah, it's the same concept. Yeah, and we don't use that term here at the FTU. Yeah. I'll just say um, rack. I'll say rack and stack. Okay. Rack and stack. Um, use the language of the people. Yeah. Um, I think bomb is more for like promotions. Is is where that gets used. Gotcha. Like yeah. Um. Yeah, that is probably correct. Yeah. Uh, so there's the the way that the grade sheets are designed, right? That you have like it forces people to 
it encourages instructors to slip in more into that screening mindset, like in evaluating students. Yeah. Like I am grading you. That is my job. I'm presenting you the material. You're going to go out there and do it. I'm going to grade you. Right. And it is what it is. Right. Uh, and discourages in seat instruction to a certain extent. Mm. I think it, I think it can. Oh, for sure. And there's a particular element yeah. uh, of our community. And I guess the air force community as a whole who thinks in seat instruction is bullshit. But we'll talk about that later. Yeah, I've got a section. I got a section. I got a section for that. Um, but there's also just a, a personal aspect of that, like as far as the mentality of teaching, where we need to not look at a student who's struggling and read too much into their potential as an aviator, their potential as an officer, right? Based on whether they're getting it right now, right or not right like there's no right stuff there's no glean you know uh peering into their potential as a leader and an officer right based on whether this dude is struggling in his bsa one yeah right uh, to figure out the mechanics of what button do i press after i hit this one yeah learning methods are different flying is non-natural distinctly unnatural it's mechanistic and it's learned Right? Mm -hmm. it, it is it is not something that has this intuitive certainly not in this day and age there's no intuitive whether someone's soul is born to be an aviator thing and i think lazily and through poor cognitive understanding of what they're actually doing instructors lapse into reading into students that way sure and and impress upon that um and the way that they have the way that they do the grade sheets the way that they talk to the students right um there's a tendency that I find even disturbing here at Holloman. I've heard, I mean, I think it's, it's a natural tendency, but I think like squadron commanders have to fight this tooth and nail. And then good instructors have to fight this, like the people who hold the keys to the culture of a squadron, uh, to identify with the students that are doing really well, really early as an instructor and to share in that glory. And then to disassociate oneself from the students that are struggling. So instructors uh, or squadron commanders have to, they're doing this. So instructors should be doing it. Or instructors lapse into this, I think. Wherein they identify, like, basically they like these kids that learn it faster. Right. And or they, better. And they want to talk about them. And they want oh, to. Oh, yeah. And they want to be on rides with this. And they want to put time into, like, the person who even doesn't even really need to be there because they're crushing that right. block. They could probably be prof advanced. Yeah, I, I, I knew a kid like that. Yeah. and <laughs> I, was, they were, I was truly impressed with his ability to, to pick things up quickly. Yeah. I didn't spend much time with him, but... You know, because I'm attached and I didn't, I wasn't like a flight And then to talk but. badly and want to dissociate oneself in the sport bitching from the students that are struggling. Yeah, of course. Um, and that, and that's just a really poisonous mindset. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, it makes sense because you want to associate yourself with positive, right? Of course. And if the student is not getting it. Right, you don't want to be responsible for that, so there's an intent. There, there's an tendency to disassociate. And how deep are you taking on this responsibility, like, like in, like making this role of instructor slash teacher, like a part of your being, right? Yeah. So, I'm not going to take all these students uh, at Holloman and, and treat them all like my kid. No, but there is 
I mean, not until this kid is like 18, 21, you know, fucking 30, and he just doesn't want to hear what I have to say anymore. Up until that point, my kid, and soon to be kids, get, I will give them 500 shots <laughs> at something, you know what I mean? And I will continue to give them that, uh, that opportunity to succeed, and I will stay engaged to teach them whatever it is I think they need to succeed in life, right? Um, an FTU student is different, but the mentality, there, there's an element of that. Like, there's an extreme ownership that I think some instructors and teachers should take that mindset. Like, this student in this room for, with me for the next six hours, he's mine. And, like, yeah, I, it, it is my duty and my responsibility to get to him. And moreover, I think there's a there's a it's a tendency to misunderstand really what you're there for. The you are not there to preside over the the, the student that is gliding overall. Yeah, right. You're you're nut as this as an instructor. Right, the where you should be foaming at the mouth to for this opportunity is for that six hours that you described mm -hmm. to have that breakthrough and have that click with the student who hasn't been getting it. Yeah, and that's and that's what that's the that's the instructor par excellence. Yeah, right. That that is the real that is the real thing. Right. Mm -hmm. um, that that's the, the thing that gets my rocks off. Yeah, the problem with that, the problem with that, or the difficulty with that. Uh, with in getting more people to view it that way is that it's hard it's hard to to measure that or express that yeah because that student marginally improves you really just did the best teaching job that the base on, on the base <laughs> that day right yeah yeah but like it's hard to codify that yeah um, my uh, my father was a hammer thrower in college and a pretty damn good one. That's the metal ball That's on the a chain. That's the ball on the chain. Yeah. yeah it's an Olympic. Swing around It's an Olympic fast. sport. Yeah. Um, it's a legitimate Olympic sport. How that's different than like the ball that's like in your hand? That's the a shot, shot put? That's shot put. Yeah, I know. But like why we why we differentiate these things, I don't know. It's different athleticism. <laughs> but uh, hammer throwers are built very differently than uh, shot putters. The good ones. Anyway, my dad was really effing good at this. Okay. Uh, relatively. He, uh, he qualified for the Olympic trials. Um, he was at UCLA. Well, you just come from a family of winners, don't you? Well, I actually didn't do throwing because uh, the family expectations around that. So I, 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 I yeeted, You're like, nope. I yeeted, my, I yeeted myself out of that uh, in middle school, which I, I think I probably could have been pretty decent at it. But I'm, I'm already too old to understand really what yeeting means, but it's a fun continue. word. It makes me it makes me chuckle. Um, to forcibly <laughs> remove with great velocity. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, far more colorful. Um, he, Yeet. yeah, his coach at UCLA was Coach Venegas. Um, and Coach Venegas and my dad ended up having problems uh, because my dad would ask a lot of questions and like how things could be done differently, right? Uh, with coach, coach Venegas was pretty uh, was excellent coach, but very uh, kind of dictatorial. Sure, dictatorial about how he ran his throwing shop, um, and didn't really like naysayers or people questioning him. Sure. So he, my dad got asked to leave. I don't either. My dad got asked. Yeah, my dad got asked. <laughs> my dad got asked to leave 
uh, UCLA when training like for the Olympics, like after he graduated yeah. and like not come back essentially nice. by, by his idol, coach Venegas, um, over this, right? Like, he didn't want my dad infecting other people with these thoughts yeah. right, about how things could maybe be improved or different. Big falling out really fucked with my dad's head for all, as he tells it. Mm-hmm. Um, but he came back and my dad became a coach and he came back your my, dad my dad went back to ucla no but he was a he became a coach right? okay and like re-entered the world of of throwing okay and there were throwers that coach venegas had that he actually took to improve right so coach venegas had these guys your yeah, dad th- took throwing them on. throwing like say 100 you know 100 feet i don't i don't remember what the numbers are yeah and then my dad actually got these guys to throw like 110 right? yeah and coach venegas like many years later, almost like the sublime moment, like came up to my dad after not having talked after all this stuff. Where, was, where was your dad coaching? Uh, I think, or was, was he like just like commu- freelancing community college, like some sort of college? Like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Exactly but he's freelancing with these guys that have left UCLA or yeah. They're like on yeah, their way to Olympic under, trials or whatever else. Coach Venegas. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and my coach Venegas approached him many years later and they hadn't really talked since the falling out. Yeah. And he said, like, you know, no one has ever, like, coached someone beyond what I could coach them. Yeah. And, like, you coach these, this guy to 110 feet, and, like, I could never do that. And, like, you know, that was pretty much the end of the conversation, and Coach Venegas walked away. But there's a moment right there. Yeah, it was, like, sublime, right? Yeah. And, uh, my dad also talks about that there was a high schooler that he was coaching in pole vault who was not a great athlete. Was your father a decathlete? No, but okay. he was an extremely good coach. Okay. So he could like learn how to teach all kinds of sports by studying tape. Yeah. And he would watch other coaches teach in their videos and seminars and would figure it out. Sure. And he was a good enough athlete and he was kinesiology major and stuff. So he could like, you know, he's a great teacher. He is a great teacher in like all things, including sports. Um, and he got that kid to jump like a couple feet higher than that kid had any business jumping. Right. <laughs> and, and he says to this day that that was his best coaching job. And like, he didn't qualify for the state meet that guy. Yeah. He didn't, you know, but he max performed that kid for what that kid could do. Yeah. And he like, that's what he says. He thinks that's the most, the, the best coaching job, like individual moment of coaching or yeah. product was getting that kid to jump, you know, 15 feet when he had no effing business jumping higher than 13 feet. Yeah. But like the coaching and like the way that that kid received the teaching resulted in him being, you know, being there. Right. Yeah. Does anyone give a fuck that that kid jumped 15 feet? No. Does anybody but my dad and maybe that kid understand, well, you know what transpired between them? Yeah. No. Right. And that's the problem when about this dissociation association thing Yeah, is that, it requires almost a strong like moral sense of vocation yeah. around the teaching to pursue that uncelebrated, you know, middling, what appears to be a middling success, but from the perspective of the teaching or the instructing was a success beyond wildest imagination. Yeah. Right. And, but because it's not measurable yeah, objectively compared across performances across the board, it's extremely hard to to push people and instructors to that unless you are actively inculcating the sense of like voc- the sense of vocation around teaching like what it means 
and this idea that for this six hours, my job is to make you as good as you can be. Yeah. And I am foaming at the mouth for the bad students and to like make them motivated and to have that breakthrough, that aha moment with them and have yeah. them perform. You know, they were underperforming. Now they're performing average. I was the best instructor on the base today. Right. And you, you have to know that. Right. Yeah. But because uh, no one else is going to be able to measure that for you. There was uh, so that, it's a sticky problem, but it's a it's a cultural mindset problem. I have a I remember when I first became an instructor, probably four or five months into that, like I'm teaching teaching some kid. And I don't remember what we're talking about. It's probably like crosswind control on final or like setting up your final attack headings and like understanding turn radiuses and this and that. And I I asked him. Like, just in, like, casual debrief or the pre-brief. Yeah. Just chit-chatting, like, you know, what'd you study, you know, like, what's your education in? And he said some engineering type of thing. And so that little nugget goes right in the back of my brain. And... Nice. I'm holding on to this because yeah. there's, there's like, okay, I might be able to, like, I might need that, right? And just came, um, and came to you at the appropriate moment. Which... Yeah, and then in debrief, uh, we're chit-chatting and we're understanding talking like a, a, the next level thing uh in this case we're probably talking about like the rate like the slew rate or the rate at which the depression angle changes right uh because at 90 degrees i give it one degree of bank the depression angle changes it by one degree right it's one to one relationship but as i move forward so at 30 degrees i can bank more and only get one depression, one degree of depression angle change. And that's because there's a there's a uh, trigonometric relationship between those, right? And so I was able to like actually relate sine and cosine of 30 and 60 and, and 90 to this kid to like talk to him about how he's able to bank more in this egress turn because of this thing. And like in that moment, you're like, you, I could see the light going. He even went like, oh, right? And like that... That just sang, sang to my soul. And that is, I mean, we're nine years later on from this. And I've taught probably 200 students since then, individual students. And I remember that particular moment. I don't remember the kid's name. I don't remember the sortie we were on, nothing. But I remember that moment. Yeah. And it, I will, I will always remember it. And I have one other uh, moment of glory and a much, much less formal Thing, but I had a, a dude in a squadron who, like, I was just casually walking around. I was probably, like, the op soup or something that night. And uh, he's sitting up on this couch with a couple other people. I hear him talking about uh, long last pulse logic <laughs> and oh, how he's had multiple patches. Yeah, multiple, like, weapons officers, like, the, you know, the creme de la creme, uh, try to explain this to him. And... I was like, this concept is not that hard. So, like, I don't, this dude must have some other malfunction. And what is he, your, what is your malfunction? <laughs> yeah. Like, there's something else that nobody else has, like, been able to identify. And, uh, but I did know uh, this guy was, like, well-read, um, was well-read, well-educated, uh, knew how to write, like, well-written uh, individual and it dawned on me that like i will bet that the the difference here is just the slash he's thinking it's long 
last pulse logic like does that also mean short last yeah, or like long is long. modifying last correct yeah. right um so i wrote that shit up on this little whiteboard that was up there and i was like yo dog i think i got you figured and i whoop put a little slash between long and last to like indicate that hey this is the same concept the long pulse is the last pulse they're the same thing two different terms for the exact same fucking thing and like I saw the light bulb come on, on in his brain, and I will never forget that moment either. Like, small, insignificant, tiny little thing. But what it illustrated to me is that the, the, the goal here is to understand the student and to know them for who they are and to find, like figure out what makes sense to them. Because, dude, I can read that shit in this ill-typed... <laughs> poorly written document called the 3-3 over and over and over and over and over and over again and it's not going to explain it to me it's not going to make it make any sense and then when you realize that this is just written by a bunch of fucking dickhead captains <laughs> hey. you know what i mean well, like i'm it, a dickhead captain yeah yeah and and we all were and that's the point <laughs> that, that the people writing these documents are not you know graduates of some masterful education program that taught them proper grammar and formatting and all this other fun stuff right so there was a that moment was very small and insignificant to the to the whole of the air force and to all the other instructors that ever exist but i hope the two patches that were in that in that unit before i got there maybe they listened to this <laughs> and like they don't realize remember. they don't remember. <laughs> they probably don't, um, and that's that's unfortunate. No, because I know that they understand that, but they were unable to translate that. Yeah, because they just they didn't understand their students at all. And they're just regurgitating shit out of three three and three one for that matter. It's fucking unfortunate. Yeah. Well, and this leads me to my my next point. Or a next point, which is like entirely too many people are instructors, right? <laughs> like, right? Like, and I know that's because of the industrial model. Yep. But and so we can't we can't fix that. But that is a problem. There's not much that cachet in being an instructor. Everybody's a goddamn instructor. And and it's a it's a necessary stepping stone to. It's a necessary stepping stone to whatever progression you want. Like you need, you want that K code, you want that Q code. You have to have it. Yeah. Like if you want to make certain things or the questions are going to be raised about you, right? Yep. All human, not all human beings have the desire and spirit, right? To do like what you did in those two examples, right? And are going to enjoy that or take pleasure in it or have yeah. a talent for that, right? Not everyone who's good at flying the MQ-9 is good at instructing other human beings how to fly the MQ-9. Right. And unfortunately... Maybe they're just really good pilots. Yeah. Unfortunately, right, being a good pilot is basically viewed as, in, a, in effect, I think there are some, there's some lip service paid in the other direction, but in effect, being a really good pilot is the, the sole real prerequisite 
to being an instructor. Yeah, you've got to be. You can't be a shitbag pilot, like not good at it. And then I'm going to learn some things about, you know, how to present things a certain way in the brief or whatever, right? We'll talk about briefs later. (laughs) Later. (laughs) Um, We're getting good at these long podcasts, man. Yeah. Uh, But... There's not any real, you know, training or screening for whether you actually have a talent and a passion for the vocation of teaching slash instructing. What? Fiute is not, uh, isn't screening people out? <laughs> well, or, or, or just in, or helping them get better at that, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's really just up to the individuals whether they happen to have this talent by the way inside of them that they can take up as they, you know, master the material. Yeah. But like, that's certainly not cultivated or nurtured by the air force or valued, uh, in any real way. Like it is, it is, like I said, there's lip service paid to that, but dude, I think it needs to be like a, like total special duty. It's supposed to be like, and, and, and it needs to be dislocated from promotion. And, and like progression. It's supposed to be a special dude. That's why there's a special code. Yeah, but I meant like... At least here at Holloman, right? Yeah, but I mean, K, T, I don't care, yeah, yeah. right? Like, I think it needs to be completely divorced from from promotion accessions. Yeah. And I, in an ideal world, right? If I could wave my wand and resources and whatever weren't a problem. Yeah, because right? ostensibly they're being promoted on your ability to be a good officer, Yeah. right? Not on your ability to yeah, do and the I, technical pieces of the job that you were assigned yeah, and and I don't even think teaching squares with officership. Like those are not one to one. Yeah. Right. Like you can be a good officer and not be a great teacher. Right. right. Like I I think right. There's some there's significant overlap probably, um, especially with communication and things yeah. like that. But they're not necessarily the same thing. And some of it's about like attitude and the emotions around it. Right. Um, like that that love of having that breakthrough of like the, the art of explaining things in different ways, uh, finding that one way that's going to relate to this particular student. Yeah. Um, a lot of human beings don't have that. Yeah. Right? Uh, you do. I hope I do. And, right? and, and the air force um, has no but, means of identifying it or capturing it. Yeah. And, uh, and it's just a damn shame. Uh, I think you could start to deal with that if you, if you if you decoupled it from promotions, um, so I mean, how are you going to do that? Uh, yeah, I don't. Cause yeah, it, yeah, I don't know either. Um, if there was some way to, if it, yeah, yeah, it's not very helpful. But this is another. I'm okay. Aside, it's just mindset mentality yeah, thing. Aside, right? this is an aside. I effing hate. This is a grinds my gears. You have to bring. <laughs> you have to bring a solution if you ever raise a problem. Yeah, like that forces silence about things. Yeah. And just because I can't run this particular solution, sometimes the doctor has to diagnose the, what's wrong with the fucking patient yeah. first. And then we can figure out, I know there's a problem here, right? Like it's complex and I don't have all the answers here, yeah. but I know there's a problem and I'm hoping by bringing it up. Yeah. The whole of us can yeah. find a solution. That's not me being lazy, right? Yeah. That's not me you know, wanting someone else to solve my problem for me. Right. And that's, that's a lazy effing mentality that 
people that leaders on the yeah on leadership that leaders bring when they yeah. when they chastise people for bringing stuff up because like we can say hey like that's a great solution or that's a great problem or great id like we'll have to nug on this and see if there's anything we can do it's complex right but like you, oftentimes you just get fucking backhanded for yeah for like well you, you brought me a problem without a solution you're just complaining well yeah yeah Come on, come on. That, that's not how that's not how adults that's not how adults approach problems, right? Like the the infantilization of some of these people yeah. staggers me. Um, rant off. All right, back to the topic. Um, so yeah, there's this issue about selection for instructors, like that of people who are forced into it or doing it just for the um, the the promotion aspect of it and the the clout that goes with it, right? Yeah. Or want to be an evaluator for the clout of it. But they have no real, there's no real feeling in their hearts for the aspects of teaching a student or the vocation of, of being a teacher or instructor or, yeah. or hunting for those moments or really valuing them. It's just another fucking thing, right? And another little feather in the cap. And, and yeah, I don't, I don't have a solution for that, uh, at least readily at hand. Uh, but I think if there was some way, if there was some way to decouple that a little bit yet while still incentivizing it, now we're really, really mincing, mincing it finely. Yeah. Um, but I just don't think everybody should be an instructor. I agree. Like, like you'd be like, hey, it is fine if you were in, like, we should be able to look at someone and be like, hey, you do not have the compassion of the people skills to be an instructor. How right? many like people? You, you know how to fly the MQ-9 pretty damn well, but. Right, like, and and then have that not be detrimental to those people would would help a lot. Well, right, so, like, so isn't that what like that's a core piece of what officership is? Is you you have to be able to train your replacement to a particular degree, right? How we'll many we'll instructors do you need to keep this keep this game going? You need a lot. Yeah. Particularly here in the MQ9 community, right? Yeah. And quantity. Well, and the F16s need a lot more than they got, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll quote Stalin here. Uh, quantity has a quality all its own. Yeah, right? absolutely. I've got to have the quantity before I can start doing anything else. So just m more meat for the fucking yeah. grist mill, right? Like, so I think we got to take these people. And there's probably no structural way to fix that. But like, if you are an instructor, like mm -hmm. I think maybe, like that just needs to be a much bigger emphasis, yeah, and cultural emphasis that like, dude, this is how we're gonna do it. And like, if you're talking shit about your students and like, you know, acting like you know he was a dumb shit or whatever, like we are gonna like, you know, bro level. So we're gonna bro level thump let's, you, right? Let's so culture. How do you change that culture at a unit? Who, who, what role? in a flying squadron would you say has the maybe two roles that has the the onus to change that culture uh, squadron commander yep and maybe even a do and the weapons officer and yes okay so i'll, I'll grant you all three sometimes the, people that are going to have the most impact on that yes i am i like most of our weapons officers they're okay people are we doing this part now no, but there's, yeah. there's, uh, 
sometimes I think these dudes come out of wipe of school with a with a hard on, like how they're gonna show up and make their unit better and you know <laughs> this and that. But more importantly, this is this is why like this has been a problem with the, the community as a whole, as a as a junior community. Um, and we will slowly start to transition into that. I'm on I personally am on the bow wave of dudes who have done their entire flying career in this community. Everybody prior to me flew something else. And like cut their teeth flying KC tens, C one thirties, fighters, F sixteens, Wizzos. Yeah, whatever. Or Wizzos, right? And uh so they come in with a different mentality and a different attitude. Um yeah. But also to small degrees and sometimes large degrees, less um, cachet within the community, right? Um, they come in and they try and be these guys that like, they're super into RPAs now and they think it's this amazing strategic like super thing, right? And... Uh, but it, but deep down, everybody's like, listen, man, particularly like sensor operators and like the junior enlisted and stuff like that, they've been doing this for a long time. Yeah. They know that you're not, you're not of the, you're not of this ilk. And so willing to give you a chance, but, uh, you need to like turn it down a little bit because you just come off as a tryhard. <laughs> right but that but that's slowly dissipating okay. slowly dissipating and, yeah. and, 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 and the dudes and the dudes who have been brought over from other stuff at this point have been with the mq9 for a long time yeah yeah at at this point right now correct have earned significantly more cred than like someone who just got yeeted over to the mq9s from somewhere else right yeah 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 and there, we have a laundry list of those dudes that have just been pulled over from somewhere else um, well, but, some people but they got bought pulled, into they got it. pulled over a long time ago. Is increasingly more yeah. the case. So I'm I'm so think of like somebody like Strip, Oliveras, right? He was a B1 pilot. Yeah, he's also like I'm pretty sure he graduated MQ9 weapon school in 2010. So like yeah, he's been in this right, community he's a hot been around minute. a hot minute. Yeah, and that's what I'm talking about. It's like more like that right, right. these days. If right. if they didn't originate with us, so we're slowly transitioning into a time where we have. Squadron commanders are primarily DOs first, and then squadron commanders eventually are people who grew up in this community and understand what it is to fly an Ocho um, and do all the not terrible things that MQ-9s and MQ-1s and RPAs are want to do. You know what I mean? I've spent numerous years doing fucking shift work, grinding it out, right? And so I, I have that common experience with the... Uh, with the young captains and, and this net that just came out of their operational units. So the DO of a squadron, if he's going to, he needs to be able to be in a position to change that culture. He needs to have enough history inside of that community to be like, listen, man, we've done it a lot, like done it this way for a long time. And everybody's still kind of pissed off about some shit. You guys, you instructors need to fucking step up your game. But I need a DO and a weapons officer and a squadron commander to be able to go into these debriefs and like stop caring about the individual like student and start training the the instructors yeah. better and to like identify their fucking shortcomings and be like, you suck at instructing. That's fine. 
I got you. We're here. This is what I want to see. And this, this is, is what we do. This is what we do. And these are things you need to understand. It is important. Yeah, my it, job is my job is to make you better. It is, it is fucking important that you establish rapport with that student. If you don't do that, you've lost the game already. The student doesn't want to hear what you have to say. You have to establish that rapport. You have to show up in a good mood. You have to show up early. You have to chit-chat with them. Find out about their family and why did they choose RPAs or is this something they wanted to do? What's their educational background? What's their fucking girlfriend's name? You know what I mean? Like, um, Make them think you're on their, their side. Yes. Yes. That you're not here to just grade them and throw them out. Yeah. Kick them in the nuts and be like, well, let's see what G-Tim says. Oh! Myth, bitch. <laughs> yep. Nope. I guess you're seeing this right again. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, because th- that relationship at least in my experience, and even like as an instructor, I can feel it. And I feel like I'm one of the guys that like dramatically tries to kill this vibe, but it's an adversarial relationship. Because instructors and the organization has a different goal than the student. And they're somewhat divergent. The student just wants to graduate. Or go home. Or go home, right? So... Without having to repeat the ride. Yeah. Correct. It has been my experience that all a student really cares about to talk pole vaulting uh, here is that they are going to fucking hit that jump and all they want to do is scrape their nuts or their stomach right over across of that bar. Yeah. As long as the bar doesn't come off, they're good. You know what I mean? Um, that's, that is the level that they're trying to get to. It is exceedingly rare that you get a student that is like, yeah, I already got that made. Let's, 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 let's pump it up. Let's take it up to 11. You know what I mean? They don't want you to take it to 11. They want you to bring it down to like a seven. (laughs) You know what I mean? Just so that they could pass this ride and move on because the amount of learning that is occurring here is minimal. I think minimal. Right. The learning happens once you are alone in that cockpit with a sensor operator and you're out like hacking the mish. Well, and to be honest, if you start asking too many questions and like really trying to learn, you're going to get hit with the quibble bat or they're going to smell blood in the water. Right. Yeah. Where they're going to, a lot of instructors, um, and I'm thinking primarily of my pilot training experience to be, to be fair. Right. But like kind of what you were talking about, like the deeper understanding. Yeah. Right? Like I wanted to know how, in, like what was really going on on an instrument plate and like why it was made a certain way. Yeah. Uh, Who turns it this way? Is this plus minus five degrees? What's like? really happening with the engineers that, you know, terps everything. What's yeah. really going on with our, uh, you know, what's going on in the calculations for our why is the takeoff roll why is the decision our, height what it is yeah and our told data right <laughs> yeah, yeah what's happening with the controllers what's happening with them right and dude that was like like blood in the water man mm-hmm. like because they immediately took that as um oh you don't know you don't know <laughs> right and then they start digging right and and so you got you get punished. You get like I yep. think like it's not even necessarily on the students. They get punished early on for trying to be good uh, in some yeah. respects, right? Like unless it's expressed in the precise way that 
is uh, kosher in, in the Air Force training environment, which I, when I think about pilot training or Holloman now, I laugh because it would be so easy to go in there and like maybe not DG, but like be at the top of my class. And it's all a bunch of bullshit that goes into that, which is like, <laughs> you mean if you went there now, <laughs> well, like no, without the flying skills, like, so take away the flying skills and the flying knowledge yeah. that I've accrued, but like keep with me like the game. Okay. So you understand what like this process is and yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and it's like, dude, if I roll in there and I don't ask a lot of questions, but I act super confident mm-hmm. and excited and like use the big boy voice and don't, you know, don't approach things academically or like intellectually. I just learn their heuristics, yes. right, that they have. I don't try to understand the heuristics. I just execute the heuristics and I act really loud and bold. Dude, those IPs would have fucking loved me. Yeah, they eat right? it up. Like, and, and it is so sad to me, but I know that like, I, could, I could go in there, like, you know, wash away, you know, take me back to Dollar Ride in the T6. Uh, but like, I know a little more of how the that that goes yeah like dude it would have been way different like and that's sad to me it's sad to me because i really approached that from wanting to understand things yeah um and ask real questions about what was going on there was an instructor i had in the t1 named tori laudmel who was awesome and he had a big banner over his desk that said all questions are free and uh I like it. I like these advertising. Yeah, all questions are free. And he's like, I don't care if your question, you think you should already know it, right? Or that, and you're afraid to ask it. And, you know, like you should have learned this back in contact or whatever. Yep. I don't care. All questions are free. No judgment. We will just sit there and we'll sit here and talk about it. And like Tori Laudmel was the shit. And if he's ever listening to this, I don't know. I haven't talked to him since pilot training. <laughs> like, dude, you're awesome. I can't remember um, their names, but I can remember faces of a couple dudes yeah. that were like, but but like got it on a deeper. But it level. was so rare, and that, that's why he was advertising it like that, right? Yeah, because it was so rare. Well, that's his little um, middle finger to the rest of his. Yeah, he also had a couple <laughs> other funny. He also had a couple other things when you're in the pattern in the T1. You know, you add a little pa- power when you're in the bank. Yeah, he always say like for the family. Yeah. Right. Like add a little power for the family. <laughs> you know, just they don't stall in the pattern. Yeah. Uh, but it's I like one for the Gipper. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's like for the family. Yeah, like if, you, <laughs> if you forgot to bump it up by like, you know, a couple, couple clicks on the center throttle control. Like, Hey, for the family. Like, okay. Yeah. Bump it up. Yeah, but I'll um, bet you, you you remember that now, right? Yeah. And you remember that teaching moment, not like you you need to add four percent when you're at sixty degrees of bank. Like, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> it no, doesn't that doesn't matter. That dude was great. Uh, yeah. A lot of other T one instructors were not, but the uh, um, <laughs> oh Matt Battle, if you're out yeah. there, <sighs> but the um, <laughs> but like. The anti-intellectualism of it all, and that's because instructors are not actually, they don't actually understand it on a deep level themselves, right? Or are passionate about it at that level. Yeah, like what instruction is, and they don't take the mantle on. Or they don't understand all that stuff, right? Like they they only understand the the surface level aspects of things. Um, I I just hated being punished for asking questions about stuff. Uh, I remember there was another T1 ride where I asked a question about like we were sitting in the chocks and I just like, we were sitting there forever. Cause I think the T 38s were causing massive delays, <laughs> as they do. But, um, and I asked a question about this knob over here, which I had never seen. I was like, you know, I just want to know about this. And he was like, you don't know what that is. And, and then the guy, the fucking other student pilot in the jump seat knew what it was. 
and he was being a dick about it too. And it just started this whole chain of like, fuck you questioning. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, I, I'm sorry I asked. Yeah. Like, okay. Thanks. Like did he, I'm, did the instructor lean back to the other student and ask him, Hey, do you know what this means? Yeah. And he was like, yeah, I do. And he's like, he's like, and then, uh, and then that guy was a dick too, the student pilot and so he was kind of throwing me under the bus hey motherfucker you're in the jump seat shut the fuck yeah, up and he was like yeah i learned that you know this time and you know blah 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 blah. and uh you know and then it was like and he was like hmm so what do you think will happen and, you know it was like this very adversarial line of questioning so like if you pulled this what would happen should have turned around and be like congratulations motherfucker shut up yeah but it was <laughs> this like this is my half of the sortie yeah and i think there's just a whole variety of things that lead to this adversarial relationship yeah. Which is different than the WIPS model, which has different goals, which we can talk about here in a second. But, um, or WIC model, whichever, yeah, whichever flavor of that you, you prefer. But I just, I, you know, I just, I feel like we're in Cool Hand Luke the whole time where that movie has, uh, you know, it's about a guy who gets arrested for, you know, defacing parking meters i i only know the the, it's a great the choice bit of do you a, feel lucky punk that's dirty harry <laughs> oh shit so um, all right so i don't know dick about cool hand luke it's a great movie <laughs> i should watch it sometime actually i think you would actually like it yeah um it's kind of like a spiritual brother to like shawshank redemption and like uh one flew over the cuckoo's nest oh i like both of them um and it predates both of those but Ooh. um he gets arrested for parking meter defacement yeah and you know, has trouble with authority in prison and like be, become very much like one flew over the cuckoo's nest becomes like an inspiration by, to the other prisoners by yeah. kind of like bucking authority in different ways. Uh, eventually he gets killed like by prison breaks, like a couple prison breaks and gets okay. killed on his third one, I think. Yeah. Um, but on like his, killed by guards and yeah. shot and stuff. Yeah. But, uh, Oh, who's the fucking actor? It's the guy who plays Butch Cassidy and Butch Cassidy and the son. No idea. Movie. I was going to say, uh, uh the guy who plays dirty harry no <laughs> i don't have the slightest idea you're, paul newman no, paul you, newman. you are um but there after his i think it's his first prison escape uh he gets like manacles put on and he gets like pushed down the and he gets like like the chain that you get yeah, yeah. to the ankles and he to work on this road and he the, the he's on the chain game yeah the captain he makes some smart ass comment to the captain as they're bolting the manacles on him and the captain hits him and he tumbles down the road and is like laying there. And the captain says, uh, he goes, uh, he goes, what, what we've got here is a failure to communicate some men you just can't reach. Right. And it's a very adversarial relationship yeah. right, between obviously between the guards and the prisoners and I feel like pilot training and Air Force instruction feels too much like that. Too much. Yeah. Uh, like the students don't get it. We got to beat them down. And, and and I think that's got to change at like the squadron level and, and on the, and the level of one's like soul. To so be, so to we've be talked like instruct, instructor and teacher, right? Uh, maybe another word to throw in there is mentor. Yeah, like in in that five hours, six hours, like over the course of this student's arrival, like there's a mentorship relationship, yeah, that needs to be established, or that everybody, fucking everybody, I don't care who you are, whether you're the 18 year old sensor operator, uh, 
you know, guy upgrading, uh, or you're a lieutenant, or even just a, like a captain instructor. We all want mentors. We all want mentorship. And the FTU is no different, and people need to take on that mantle. Yeah. Yeah, so I think to kind of sum it all up, that there's, there is an organizational push or like draw to, to that kind of pulls instructors to this, this bad place. Yeah. Um, and you add to that, like do, just the, do, the do grind. Do you think people recognize that? No. Or they're just, it, it's, no. it's happening unwittingly. And I think it's for the most part unwitting. Um, and some people are better with it than others. Right. Uh, but I think, the institution incentivizes and kind of codifies some of that. Right. Sure. Um, and I think that's, that's always going to be, there's going to be a momentum in that direction, but like the individuals who are in positions of influence within the squadrons need to, need to fight that like a mother effort. Yeah. Right. And that's, and that, I, and that's my, kind of my answer right now. That, that, this um, is one of the reasons I'm upset with not, not upset that I would have preferred to go to be, a DO of one of these flying squadrons. If you ever become a DO. <laughs> it's not a done deal yet. It's not a done deal yet. That's true. Um, because there's... Maybe hold on to this. Because podcast. there's some role. There's That that role yeah. is important to me. Like, yeah. I care about the students. Great. I care more about my, in, like, the instructor upgrades. And I care I care about the, the DIs, the designated instructors who think they know their shit. But they don't, right? Um, yeah. Our Fayute programs are, I would say, lackluster <laughs> uh, in a number of ways, and we don't need to dive into those, right? But there's, there's too few resources dedicated to teaching people how to teach and teach people how to instruct because we don't have enough people with the confidence of, you know, an entire career having been in this community and instructing for, like, I've been an instructor since fucking 2012. Um, I have been in the Air Force for 14 years, nine years of which I've been an instructor. Strength and honor. Strength and honor. <laughs> Don't kill me. Don't kill me, my ghost, ghost warrior bros. Yeah, well... Um, strength in our years. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but we don't spend enough time and resources to that. Yeah. And we should, that that's hugely important. If you can't like train these kids how to do this thing to a high level, then you're always going to be, we're, we're, we're always going to be thinking, ah, oh, our students suck. They're not as good as they should be when they graduate. And this that, well, you, the, the problem yeah. is your instructors. Yeah. And, and, and the rest of your organization and your, the institutional level, like emphasis on grade sheets and grading every tiny little fucking thing. And yeah. it is all the legalese. Like, cause all we're, all we're doing is we're just doing this because the, we know the lawyers are not going to allow us to wash students out. Right. Unless, like, you, unless you can back it up. Unless you can back it up with this, this fuck the lawyers, fuck them. Their names aren't on the formates. Yeah. Fuck them. This isn't a legal system. This You are not granted the, the, the natural born right to be a pilot. It's on that squadron commander and the evaluator yeah. to make that decision. Um, I wish more people understood that, but apparently squadron commanders don't have as much power as we think. Huh. 
It's interesting when you get close to it, right? Surprise, (laughs) surprise. I think another, because there's like a bunch more topics we could do in relation to this. We could go all night. But I think like one more that I, just just one more that I want to introduce. Let's hit it. Um, I think another. I've got my own that we're going to hit on too, so go. Another factor that pushes there is like the wick or the whips model uh, of instruction. And I think... A misapplication of that to beyond the circumstances in which that's effective at that school uh, to to broader stuff. And there's an infatuation of that model um, that I think also has deleterious effects. Sure. Um, so correct me if I'm wrong. It, it follows the brief execute debrief model where the students, the, the, the WIC students will brief their ride. So the WUG, the, the, uh, WUG, yeah. the weapons upgrade. Yeah. yeah. They brief their ride. They go fly the ride with the instructors. No input, basically. Yeah. Normally they're the instructors on the wing. So they're flying number two these days. Um, previously they'd be over your shoulder, but now they're primarily doing two ship stuff. So they're in the other cockpit. So there's no room for instruction. Yeah. And the, then the debrief is led by the wug. Yep. Um, and it's that that lack of and the the lack of in seat instruction and the lack of instruction really coming from the instructor outside of the debrief. Uh huh. Um, like prior to, like prior to the ride, and during the ride right works for the wug the wick model because it is they've already been screened they're supposedly the best of the best they're coming in with a high level of motivation right and they can be treated that way and get good learning that way out of that potentially yeah so the weapon school receives you know 10 to 20 students a year right yep. the weapon squad 26 weapon squadron and their real goal is to create weapons officers. Now, what is the role of the weapons officer at a squadron? Uh, there's a few things, but like the primary, like the thing that's written in blood, right? It's like, hey, we're going to go do this weird thing tomorrow. Uh, I need the weapons officer to, who doesn't know how to do that either at this point, read it, understand it, digest it. And then build academics and disseminate it out to all the line bubbas so that they can go be successful the next day. Yeah, they're basically the chief instructor. The way that I've like put things is you're the backstop of the squadron. You are the guy, you're the one guy that cannot say, I don't know, and just walk away. It, yeah. you're, you're free to not know something. Yeah. But it is now your responsibility to figure it out to relay that information to the rest of your unit, whether that's your own in like your own study, you reach out to your patch network and, you know, talk to all your bros that are, you know, ostensibly some of the best pilots in the air force. Right. Um, that is your sole role. So the weapon school brief execute debrief model is all about building that level of confidence so that you can leave that squadron or leave the weapon school, go back to whatever squadron you're assigned to to become that guy yeah. that walks around 
with you know big dick energy everywhere you go and be the guy that is the backstop supporting the whole of the squadron right on those weapons and tactics sorts of things right and when you're trying to build that confidence in these students at the weapons school you have to kind of kick them a little bit yeah uh, so that they so they learn that they can take these kicks um and progress and be like you know what boom you're, you're not phasing me get cool got it i don't know that thing i'm gonna figure that thing out now i'm briefing it now we're executing it now we're doing it and everything is amazing right um and that works that's useful so the, the other side of that is that I've graduated this course. I should now be uh, humbled enough, not, not humble, um, confident enough in myself that ask me all the questions you want, bro. Like, let's hang out. Let's have a drink. Let's talk about some stuff. We'll talk at a deep level. We'll talk at a shallow level. Whatever level you want. Like, I'm game. I have nothing to prove. I am literally here. I have been assigned to this squadron, whatever it is, to help you get better. My job is a servant leadership. Especially role. like tier one. Yeah, your tier one job is I am I am in a when it comes to all the other instructors in the squadron and everything else, like my job is just to teach you and to hang out and be your bro and like be the guy that you want to be. Yeah. Like I, I just have to be a cool guy. Yeah. Cool guy that knows a lot of shit. And everybody will respect you and want to be like you. And if, as a weapons officer, as a tier one weapons officer, dude, if you can't get to that level, you're failing. Yeah, what is it? Humble, approachable, credible? Humble, approachable, credible. Hack. Uh, uh, but sure. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 maybe, I wonder if they put a K in there somewhere that they talk about in weapons officer training. The what? Uh, I don't, think, I don't think being hacks is a desirable... <laughs> oh oh that kind of hack not like not time hack but. yeah it could, it could go either way um, um so but, that that's the role of the weapons officer and so the brief execute debrief model works very well there yeah. right i think it translates okay here to the weapons school or here to the ftu and to other locations because you need to be able to do all of these things and what a brief execute debrief ride here in fight sure does tells you that all right this is the shit you briefed you went out and did this thing and now you have to try and identify why you failed from your brief to really just highlight what you don't know and to like put the spotlight on those things that's why they're non-graded rides right um but the goal there is to just point out some shit you don't know yeah i guess i'm not talking about fight bed rides okay um i think in general there's a little bit of an infatuation with that model like to to even lower levels right like where like what even if we're not using the bed model yeah we are like teaching a a up in in holloman or somewhere else, right? In like reconstitution, uh, yeah, right. Those those students, wugs, go through spin up, 
right? They have their own careers and success to fall back on, right? Yeah. So in the dark of night, when they've been kicked in the nuts, right? <laughs> they at least know that like, hey, this is this place. It's not me, right? Yeah. Like, this is a new level, but this is not me, right? Yes. Like, and so, the, you know, there's, they, they ostensibly can take that kicking because they have something to fall back on. Yeah. Um, a little better. And, and, and they know what they're in for. They like know, you sign up for weapon school, and, and they it's prep, like, and they prep for it, right? Yeah. With other, they do wick ride, wick spin up you, rides. You up don't the know ass. the depths of the pain you're going to get into, but you know it's what it, you know. Yeah. And you also know that there's a hard graduation date. Like yeah. this will be over in five months. But I think some <laughs> of that, the mentality of how that gets run, like that that the black borders have, you know, mm-hmm. when they're running their program, which works for them in that setting. Um, like the farther you get away from that, the the less applicable it is. Yeah, of course. And I think there's a little bit of of star like being starstruck by the weapons school and trying to apply that by a significant number of people, like in settings where it's not appropriate. I think happens, right? Then some of that has to do with how weapons officers and the the role of the weapons officer in squadrons gets is even more elevated than in other communities in the MQ nine, because we are so our line bubbas are so cloistered off right from the larger world of combat air power. Sure. That, and when they're at WIC, the tier one weapons officers get more exposure to all that. So they're really the ones that, you know, the only people in the room that really have, you know, significant experience with like LFEs. And we're, we're also a very junior community. Um, in the sense that, like, our early weapons officers were largely charged with, like, trying to accelerate the rate at which this community become, like, gets on par yeah. with somebody else, right? So these dudes are, like, F-16 dudes or B-1 guys or C-17 dudes that got pulled out of their cockpits and moved over to to fly MQ-9s and good on them. They saw a future here, so they committed to going to weapons school. They saw a, a, a way to differentiate themselves from the rest of their community and then start pushing the community, right, in the direction that they, they wanted it to go. Sure. So early on, and so I went to the 26th uh, in 2011, Um to do my transition from the MQ1 to the MQ9. Fucking terrible. It was brutal. And this was a trend T- TX4 course. Like it should have just been yeah. like, all right, uh, now this button, it's over here now. Um, <laughs> this and that. Like it should not have been like the, the depth and the level of pain that it was. Um, but I had a hard crew sensor. Yeah. And my, my, my buddy Andrew and he and I are still homies yeah. because of that course. That was the only time we spent three months of this course, but it was such a kick in the dick that now he and I are uh, like inseparable. He wanted me to preside over his retirement out of the Air Force. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, um, yeah, like you were literally in the trenches fighting for your life and honor in a TX4 course. That's what I'm saying. Like, in a TX4 it's like course, it's great that you have that bond. Holy but like, shit, was it, man, is that appropriate? <laughs> yeah, like, did you did it have to be this effing stressful? Um, for a TX4 course, yes. Like, so, my, my only point is that so it, it's gotten better. That 
like over time. So like I said, these guys were charged, the early weapons officers were charged with like making this crazy community and like ramping it up and getting it to, you know, be on par with the F-16 bros. Um, but over time that has slowly faded a little bit. Uh, it still exists. Um, and I think that we still fight for our like place at the table amongst the, the larger combat air forces. And so there's still this like push gotta be better gotta be better this has to be like we're not there sure but we're now getting dudes that have only done rpas and so the mindset is slowly shifting away from this combat air forces thing yeah uh yeah my 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 main point is that i think sometimes there's a little bit of idolatry for that model yeah it seems to be like almost with the guys who aren't weapons officers but like are aspiring to it or yeah. in its orbit and to apply like there's a little bit of eagerness to apply like what is it seen to be the elite way you know yeah. to these other areas where it's where it's not as appropriate like i don't think it's appropriate for reconstitution i agree i don't think it's appropriate for tx1 tx4 um and i think it pushes more of that adversarial model Mm-hmm. Because the the bed model, the, especially, it is adversarial to a certain degree, sure. right? By the, the silent hostility, right? Um, or the, the the hostility of silence, I should say. Um, in addition to that, you're like looking back at your instructor for some validation, like I'm doing the like, right thing, right? And they're just like stonewalling you, like right. I don't know, you tell me. <laughs> Maybe they'll, just, maybe they'll just make a face and or they'll something. or you'll see them just jot something down on their yeah. notepad. You're like, fuck. Yeah, but like that's not conducive to learning when we're in the true like learning environment, right? Like, yeah. Because whips, the whips is about building confidence and and that mentality, right? We're not really learning. We are, but yeah, and getting giving you experience and exposure to the broader. Yeah. Air Force and yeah. integrating into large force exercises and major combat operations. Well, and then my other major gripe with that is, so there's that, that I think it gets idolized and applied where it's not really applicable, um, where the, the, the preconditions or the, uh, that apply to the WIC yeah. are not being met by these other uh, settings and then trying to take that from WIC and then apply it where the, the buttressing is not the same. Yeah. It doesn't work. Um, also, I think what Yogi is saying is, hey, fellas, all of you aspiring to go to weapons school, colors are useful, not important. There's a subtle difference there. Yeah. If you can't debrief in all black, then you suck. Well, I like the colors, but <laughs> for the, for the <laughs> like theater, I said, they're useful for the theater of it, but <laughs> not um, important. It's grown on me, I'll say. But the, uh, <laughs> And then too, like I've seen, right? We were talking about humble, approachable, credible, right? Yep. I've seen what what a bad weapons officer does, and I won't name those guys. But I've seen what a good weapons officer does for a squadron. Who, yeah. Who does embody those qualities? Who is, as you described earlier, um, is approachable and like doesn't have anything to prove. And is not condescending and supercilious and yeah. acts like they know everything and all the peasants who have not don't have LFE experience or are, are dumbasses. They all graduate credible. Yeah. Very few in my experience, and maybe a growing number, graduate yeah. humble and approachable. So when they're when they are really feeling that that superciliousness and that condescension, it is so bad for the squadron. And I once got a text message from 
uh, a weapons officer whose squadron I was inbound to. Um, and he was like, oh, dude, I need better, I need better pilots. <laughs> I was like, hey, bro, isn't it your job you don't to get, make better pilots? You don't get to choose. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> and, but, oh, my God. <laughs> but to their everlasting credit, um, Slam and Fatch, if you're listening, uh, started to change my mind about that. Because like, to me, it was like default. Some guy says they're from Wick and they got that patch on. You're an asshole. And I fucking hate you, right? Like, and I, yeah, right. It was like, unless proven otherwise, right? Unless, yeah. But like, that's that's where you start, dog. Yep. And and I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to interact with you. F you, dude. Right? Is is how I felt about the patches in my squadrons up yeah. to that point. And uh, Slam and Fatch came in, um, and they started to change my mind about like you know maybe there are dudes who can have you know go to this elite prestigious school. And be an incredible force multiplier for the culture of the squadron. And, uh, you know, to their everlasting credit, I think they embody the humble, approachable, credible stuff that that school talks about or wanting to do. Um, so how much of that do you know. think ties to the fact that you are now uh, two to three to four years older in your Air Force career? And, like, the weapons officer, the luster of the weapons officer had died off a little bit. I don't... I don't think in this case. Yeah, all right. Um, because I think all the lieutenants like those dudes too. Uh, that and that—that's. I guess that's a real question. Um, do the do the lieutenants like the weapons officer? And I've and I heard Slam. Sorry to be talking about you so much, Slam, but I, <laughs> I, know. I, I love you, bro. <laughs> um, I heard Slam say like that was one of his core goals. Right? Was that the that the lieutenants wanted to talk to him? Right. right? And he, he was talking about that from day one coming in. Uh, he had a couple other things he said too about, you know, the captains need, you know, like the different relationships he wanted with the different teams. Yeah, yeah. But like one of his main ones was that the lieutenants absolutely wa- wanted to talk to him and wanted to nug on stuff and were not afraid to come talk to him. And he wanted to cultivate that. And I think he was largely successful. The lieutenants so, are the easiest ones to yeah. just be like, go fuck yourself and stop, stop talking. Right. So yeah. like if you can achieve that and you get these like, young lieutenants wanting to talk to you and like pick your brain about various things and they feel uh, empowered to come chat with you without feeling like they're going to get shit on for not knowing this, this, this thing, right? Then you are doing your duty as a yeah. weapons officer as, and, and an instructor and as a mentor. Like you're, you're embodying that mentality yeah. that we should have. Well, and I know... Like, I wanted to go through Instructor Upgrade at the 20th specifically because I had so much respect for those two dudes. You were long gone by then, Mo. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> not a knock on you. I think I got you. I think I got you started. Right. The, uh, but I specifically wanted to go through it at the 20th, uh, because I had so much respect for those two weapons officers. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I want to learn from them. I want to, I want them to kick me in the nuts a little bit and teach me. Right. Yeah. Um, but because because you won't take it personally when they knew, do kick you, <laughs> and I knew they were. Well, I knew they were on my team. And yeah, I knew they were on everybody's team at the end of the day. Um, so, with respect to the Wick, like I think there is a little bit of over over idolizing of the model, lionization of the model, and a little eagerness to misapply it. Yeah. Um, even though it is a good model in its place, uh, I think that that needs to mm-hmm. be very carefully considered. 
um, like, yeah, what the precepts. Of, it works well for what the precepts weapons yeah, officers. What the precepts and, of that model are needs to be carefully considered. Yeah, uh, and not just like this is the one size fits all thing. And then, right, because the weapons officer, the tier one weapons officer, is the lead instructor of the squadron, and he has outsized role in setting the culture and people naturally do look up to that person. Yep. Like those dudes have to be on point with some of the stuff that we're talking about. Like, um, like you were saying, like come in happy, come in non-judgmental, right. Earlier yep. just with relation to instruction in general. Um, like I'm here full of confidence, but without judgment and we we're just going to get better together. Right. And that, that is, I think a key, like a key piece as well that affects whether a squadron can do what we were talking about earlier is whether that the, the whole, that the weapons officers on board in that way yep. and that the WIC model is being handled, um, is being applied with care if, if at all, right. Yeah. With, with into certain settings. Yeah. And the, and like, not, and not just being blindly like, this is awesome. And then students are feeling, uh, the adversary relationship when they don't even know what the fuck is going on. Right. And it's like, this is not appropriate. And the, and this is not, this is not inspiring confidence in the students. This is not going to build them to confidence. This is just going to make them hate you and hate this. Right. right? And. Right. And is, so, it, is it any wonder that the uh, 20th attack squadron, you know, won the uh, GA trophy for, you know, best RPA squadron of yeah, the I year was... and like all these things, right? So when you start bringing no, these... No, it's not because uh, I was there. <laughs> yeah. You start bringing in... <laughs> no. Uh, when you start bringing in one these of the big, people... One of the big pillars of that was was the uh, the supreme quality of those weapons officers that came in at that time. Correct. You And you have to bring... Like and, you're and establishing I, a culture and a, like you're, you're setting an environment where the lieutenants want to be better. They want to be like this guy... Or this like small team of dudes at the top that are co- capable, competent, humble, like cool dudes. You know what I mean? Like you want to have a wife that looks like their wife, and you know, like whatever the case, you want to be these people, and so you strive. Oh, you got me thinking about their wives, which is maybe not a great. <laughs> so, so, you, so you, so as a lieutenant fresh to the squadron, you strive to be like these people because you fucking like them. You know what I mean? As as a human being, and you set them set them up as a model of uh, what you want them to be. So, um, we're probably wrapping up here. But uh, individual instructors on a day to day basis, yeah, what should they do? Uh I don't have a checklist. All right. Well, um, think about it. The uh, so I think they gotta they gotta rock up. Very excited to be teaching. Yep. Right. When and if not, fake it till you make it, dude. Right. Like sit out in your car, play Metallica before you walk in the building. Right. To do your instructional ride. You know, whatever you got to do to get pumped up and excited about, hey, we're going to go do this for the next six hours, right? Yep. Um, but if you walk in there like, yo, I don't really want to be here, like students sense that, right? Like, and you've already lost, right? Uh, yes. Um, and then you need to, you need to treat the 
you need to you need to take ownership like and, and there's a lot of specifics that fit under this but you need to own that six hours right with your goal is knowing that you inspired and or taught that student to a new level no matter what right and if you didn't that's on you right that's not on the student and you need to internalize that and that's yeah. what i would say is like internalize as an individual internalize that teaching mindset rather than the instructing mindset for you as an individual instructor yeah right? you need to internalize teaching not in, instructing is for the system it's not for you you are a teacher and you want to inspire and you want to and so when you're debriefing yourself when you're driving home that day on how you did as an instructor right it's not did I mess up my board? Maybe it might be some of that, right? But like, I don't give a I, shit about your board. Did I need to hit my e? Did I need, you know, he messed up the emission a couple times. Did I need to brief that better? Like, sure. Right. But like, really, it's did I embody at the end of the day, the question you need to ask yourself when you're driving home is did I embody the teaching mindset to the best of my damn ability? And did I reach this student, right? And inspire yep. him a little bit. And that's teaching a TX1 student. That That's your one, two right there, I think. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a, you know, there's a bunch of small things like, you know, don't, don't, don't get out the quibble bat, you know, when students are asking questions, like you can, you can turn off the questions, uh, yeah. you know, in a way that's not hitting them with the quibble bat. And yeah, I understand why quibbling exists, right? Because sometimes students are, you just want them in receive mode and they're legitimately like trying to defend themselves against objective, objective. Yeah. Analysis, I guess that right? adversarial, because you failed as an instructor to let them know that you're on their team and they don't believe your debrief. They think your debrief is bullshit Yeah, because you failed as an instructor <laughs> to get them on board right, to, uh, to, early. Uh, right. Authentically in receive mode. I Correct. Guess. So you're, Correct. Just, you're just hitting them with the quibble bat, but like, so there's specifics like that, right? Yeah. But, but at the end of the day, did I embody the teaching mindset? to the best of my ability and did i did this guy really learn did i have a breakthrough with this student did i inspire him a little bit yeah and like you need to ask yourself that honest question as you're like starting up your car right and that's what you can think about when you're driving to cruises yeah but um that's what i would say so i would say your time with the student starts the night before yeah a student's gonna text you and the answer is no there's nothing different from the training manual or any of this other fun stuff. Got it. Well, you can give them. You've got to give them like. Give them specific homework for them to do, right? Like don't let them brief their own targets because mm -hmm. right? they're just going to copy paste some shit. Like challenge them because it shows that you care. Yeah. If you're giving them the, your own homework assignment and then you know that they're actually using their brains and they're engaging and investing ahead of time as well. Yeah. So you don't need to give them a bunch of extra readings unless something, there is something. Something specific from like, their previous grade sheet that hopefully you've already read. Yeah. But I, <laughs> I try, I send like long text messages. So do I. With like a lot of instruction or like, I want you to focus on this when you're chair flying. I want you to chair fly this specifically. Yeah. These parameters, right? These are your targets. Um, yeah. Because... And if you're not like they, they're already picking up on that. Right? If you're just like, not nope, see you tomorrow. I also like to uh, end all of my text messages the day before with like American flags or fucking eagles uh, or yeah, some good. other like that's good. some other small thing that says, "Yo, dog, we're just gonna go out and have a good time, and we're gonna make this happen." Like I'm trying to get you on my team, yeah. or to let you know that I'm on your team right off the bat. Yeah, off I'm the first 
message you ever hear yeah, from me. That's good. I, I might steal the emojis. I do, do some, it. I do something similar where I basically have everything like, hey, you know, after the whole data dump of all the stuff I want them to do, yep. hey, push me any questions you got. Looking forward to flying with you. It's going to be a kick-ass ride. We're going to fly the deadliest jet in the history of air power tomorrow. Boom. And yes. then, you know, exclamation point, dash Yogi. And that's how I end it, right? So I use the call sign to like, yeah. to, to leave in leave in that communique a little bit. Soft, right. Soften it up. Yeah, you got to um, soften it and let them know that you are, you're just a human being who is having a good time. and excited about teaching them tomorrow. Correct. Yeah. Correct. So that's like step number one. My other recommendation, show up early. Like, yeah. I know you're the instructor and you're going to show up and you're going to set up your board and all this other fun stuff. Tell your students as, 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 in as few words as possible, like, yo, I want you to be there. Like, I will be there one hour prior. As soon as that room opens up, I'm there. You should show up. Like, I'm not going to sit here and grill you, but just come in, hang out. We'll bullshit. I'll task you to go look up some some things as, like, important to our sortie for the day. Like, hey, man... uh, is our plane taking off time on time? Hey, if not, like go find out from the top three. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna task you, and we're, we're like, gonna, we're gonna establish a team atmosphere here. Muffs LR is showing. Yeah, <laughs> so we're gonna, we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna establish this team. I don't give a, I don't give a fuck about takeoff time. I'm <laughs> It's either up or it's not. Yeah, well, well, correct, correct. Are, are we stepping on time? Is there some delay? Yeah, yeah. Like you uh, know what? I'm just, I'm just negative. Look, look up some shit. Like, figure it out. Um, and we're also in that time. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. We're just going to BS, and we're going to chit-chat, and we're going to find out what your educational background is, like, what city, where, what, where are you here from? Why did you join the Air Force? Like, what are these motivations? And don't just, like, focus on the officer. Focus on the sensor operator as well. Like, you're building this whole team, right? So when I can show that I care about the sensor operator, that tells the upgrading pilot, you should care about the sensor operator. You need to care about him. He's a half of your team, and you well, need to have not, him. If not more than yeah. in, in a lot of scenarios. If not more. I mean, there are some moments where your job is to support him, right? So, like... Well, I would argue in almost all moments. So, understanding M that... MTS and laser delivery, right? Like, once the weapon's off, yeah. your, your job is to not fuck him up. But your job as an instructor in yeah, yeah. the moment, in the pre-brief, is to demonstrate Just that a shout out the importance my is to is establish the importance of that relationship yes. and share that, like demonstrate that relationship with the sensor operator, right? Yeah, um, I like that. Not just say what it is and like, you know, speak some words, but show some importance to, you know, that you care about this 19-year-old kid who's about to guide in all the fucking weapons that are going to kill all of America's enemies, right? Yeah. Um, so small stuff like that. Hang out, have a good time, be the cool guy. During the brief, boom. Once the hack starts, hit your instructional points, be on point, be clean, say what you need to say, use the board and all your you know, visual aids as cleanly as possible. That's more of a legalese thing. So that when you get to, you go out and you fly, like you hit all the points so that you can come back in the debrief when they fuck up. You say, we talked about that. Do you remember this piece? Remember when I said this in the brief? Boom. And you're driving home the point that like, I know what I'm talking about. So like, I'm trying to get you on board. Like I'm the cool guy. I've already demonstrated that maybe you want to be like me and I'm hanging out. We're having a good time. I know what I'm talking about. Right? Um... Right. The debrief. So during the sortie, 
A lot of people will tell you, you don't instruct during the during the sorting. I think that's wrong. I I agree. Sometimes that is the precise moment. That is the only moment that you have to like point out this. You are clearly missing like the inputs that you need. All right, pause. Look here. Look here. Look here. What does this mean? Okay, cool. Resume. Boom, and you have just planted that seed deep down for that student. They've seen it, and they've understand it, and they go and they execute, and it all makes starts to make sense. Um, I think you should even rip the student out and demo do, even if it's not called absolutely. for. Absolutely. Like, like if there's flail, and yep. they're just like, like we're taking like 20 minutes to get through a fr- like a ties brief. Yep. It's like, all right, this doesn't mean you hooked. Absolutely not. Just get up. I'm going to demo like what this should sound like and the pacing. Yep. Boom, 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 slipping back in. I mean, because we have the luxury of doing that, right? Correct. In the in the cockpits that we have. <laughs> if live flying or in the simulator, it doesn't matter, right? Yeah. Um, so, yes, absolutely. Like, there's there's plenty of room for instruction during the sortie. And I will bet if you ask most of our contractor instructors, they agree with that. And it's most of the military instructors that don't agree with that. It's the wicks. <laughs> so, so there's that. Right. And then and finally in the debrief, like, yep, the DFP is important. It it can be a very useful tool. But you need to sort out that DFP probably while you're fucking flying. Like you already know what it is. Because so much of it is I need to be able you need to be able to stand up in front of that student in that moment and be like, boom, 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 boom. These are the four or five things, you know, contributing factors to this particular thing. Hey, anything else? Anything else? Like, am I wrong here? Nope. All right, cool. Pow. And then you will you establish that like rapport with the student that you know what the fuck you're talking about. Secondary model that I want to bring up that is not talked about anywhere else because it's a british model oh please british instructors so uh i heard this from an instructor in 20 let's call it 16 uh 2016 it might have been simo uh, a guy named simmons i can't remember his his british rank or simo. anything else yeah simo right um and we had this whole little debrief and their model that he briefed is the reassure grow model, which sounds amazing, right? For just just the words, just the fact that it's not brief execute debrief or something else. Like reassure yeah. grow. You are reassuring the student and you are helping them grow. And I'm going to talk about each of those uh, moments here. So R in reassure stands for rapport. So you have to put the student at ease. Your, op- your opening remarks set the tone of the whole fucking debrief. Like if you come there like an asshole and you're like, you give this like impression that you're upset with their performance for the day, then they're immediately going to be turned off. You have to establish some rapport. And like I said, that starts with the text messages that, and the calls that start the night before. You have to establish rapport. It is key. Absolutely the foundation upon which all of your instruction is built all right um after that you elicit the aims and the objectives so like what were we trying to do today uh, like you can focus that at like the the larger like uh tactical objective levels or it can just be kind of like on a particular 
event? What was the goal? And, that, and I'm eliciting that I need the student to say it. When the student says it, it means that he understands what we were trying to achieve. The A is to analyze, okay, cool. Now that we know what we're trying to do, what actually happened? And this is where your, your colors come in and your markers come in and you're, you're draw, redrawing and recreating the shit on the board or you've, you've recorded Zeus or you're pulling up tapes. Like you're analyzing what actually happened, right? Um, uh, following that is establishing some strengths. So you're kind of giving them a shit sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, the like, okay, the classic. cool. So this worked out well. You did this well. You did that well. And this is all about letting the student know that you didn't do, not everything you did today is terrible. No. I have to point out that you know what you're talking about. There's some small things here and there that we got to still clean up. But that's why I'm here. As that's you're, why you're here. Why the, why the fuck are we here if you're great? Yeah, if you already know what you're doing, why are you in this school? Yeah. <laughs> right? So you, there's, I expect you to fuck shit up. Yeah. It's fine. It's expected and anticipated. So that's why they pay me the money to come down here and be an instructor. All right. This gets back to the grading. Or a teacher. This gets back to the grading dailies stuff too. Yeah. A little bit. So I need to uh, assess the strengths now. Um I need to figure out what went wrong. What are the symptoms of that? Uh, so that's the second S there in reassure. And I actually need to kind of like diagnose this thing, right? So I'm a doctor here. Like, all right, we screwed this up because of this thing. And this is where like the DFP model can fit in. Uh, the Brits use grow here for uh, under uh, symptoms and then understanding fixes. So yeah. the S and the U is really their grow model. Yeah. And so the grow model says all right what is the goal that we were trying to achieve so the tactic or whatever what is the reality of what happened if the the tactic says i need to bank to 30 degrees and you only bank to 23 then that's the reality is that we only bank to 23 um so what are our options here and maybe that 30 23 model is not perfect um sure this was the goal this is what happened what are our options? What else could we do here? And then uh, what am I going to do differently next time? Right? Uh, which is really what your DFP is about. Yeah. Right? You put your, your uh, you know, your big question, why did Mustang 6-9 fail to kill target whatever? And then you, you know, throw in a bunch of, contributing factors and then you put in your instructional fixes and all that fun stuff that's what the w is about like what are our what are we going to do different next time those are your instructional fixes after that you restate the student's strengths so like i've just kicked them a little bit and said all right you weren't perfect you're not god's gift to aviation or else you wouldn't be at this school so not yet anyway not yet anyway um so we're going to restate your strengths. I'm going to let you know you didn't. You you're a fine pilot. You're you're progressing, you know, as we expect or as is expected. And then finally, you're going to elicit the teaching points. And this is like the lessons learned. So one of the common techniques is to you walk out of the room as an instructor for five to ten minutes, and you have the student crew throw up lessons learned on the board. Like, what did I learn? What did you actually learn today? And by making the student write it, you make them think about it. Yeah. And you make them process that information and like supplant that for their next sortie, right? Um, 
And that reassure grow model sings to my soul. Like this is it's the same content, it's just more psychologically adroit. Correct. Correct. Uh I got one more. This reminded me of one more small addendum to like what instructors should do. Okay. Dude, on the grade sheet, if your student did well on some stuff, it doesn't mark them up above MIF. Yeah. Right? Like and, and write a comment. Like you don't have to give them a three and then the min minimum required the RPL for everything just cause, right? Like, yep. Like take the time. I mean, all you're really doing, all we know that all, all instructors do is they just hit that everything standard all. and then they find the two things or one thing that they fucked up and they hit, you know, bump it down to a two. Yeah. And then <laughs> I'm saying bump, bump, bump people shit up. <laughs> yes. Like if, they, if, if, if you say you're doing this reassure model and you're talking about their strengths, it, you're not giving them a four. You know, I mean, this is even for rides where you're not giving them a four overall, right? Yeah. Like, find something they did well, give them that little bump. And then I'm not talking above about... Above MIF. It I'm might even be a cocaine. three for something that might right, be a two. Yeah. I'm not talking about a bump of, you know, <laughs> that kind of bump, yeah. But like, um, I'm sure the students would appreciate that um, after a long before day. No, before the sortie. They before. want that before the sortie. <laughs> <laughs> We do not uh, condone the use of drugs in accordance with Air Force policy, nor do we have taken them past every P test I've ever taken. All right. The, uh, <laughs> the, uh, but, uh, dude, it is so important. Like, I remember the times where, and like, you know, I got fours or, um, got marked above MIF on yeah. something with a comment because it's like everyone's so fucking lazy about that or like, yep. or, or curmudgeon about it. And it's like, dude, just throw this dude a bone. It's, fr- it's for free. All it is is the 30 seconds of your effort to like yeah. remember what that positive thing that you said if you're doing that reassure model. Yep. When you were talking about strengths and just put it on the damn grade sheet. Like put it put it in blood, right? Like it, yeah. it's it's not going to affect their their rack and stack, right? Yep. Like if you don't think they deserved an overall rack and stack bump with the overall four, right? Yep. But like it's the same with evaluation, like the the commentary or the the phrases that commendables are free. Yeah, like fucking give it to them. If Dude, they, I I if have never I have never gotten a commendable on a check ride. Me neither. And there are. <laughs> And there was like, there's been like some where it's like, go dude, fuck yourself. Dude, like, I know I'm better like than everybody else doing this. the CP method, like <laughs> Shaq to TOT, right? And the evaluator was like, that was like the best, <laughs> the best TOT I've seen in like a couple years. No commendable. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> fuck you, dude. Like, Slipping tables on yeah. this, dude. So just, I mean, like, what am I gonna do? Whine what about? What does it take? Yeah, I was like, what am I gonna do? Whine about not getting commendable, but like. Yeah the uh to the to them at the time no but i was like really like how how, how are you gonna say all this positive shit and then like <laughs> okay i've been flying this airplane for 13 we'll call it 12 years how have i not gotten like like at some point i am definitely exceptionally qualified like yeah but i've not gotten an eq never yeah. happened yeah well, <laughs> you know so that, that that aside but it's like for you instructors before you when you finish that debrief that muff's talking about and before you get in that car and you really think about whether you embodied teaching, like, dude, bump, bump that grade sheet. If you, if you have any half inclination to do so. Anywhere, yeah. Yeah, smash it up. Like, it could be airmanship. Like, there's a bunch of restrictions that day. And, you know, he briefed it up really well. And then you didn't have to say shit and he was adjusting his holds for that. Give him a, give him a three on his airmanship yeah. if the MIF was a two. Throw right? him a bone. And then write him a comment, right? Like, it means so much. 
it motivates them to try hard. You'll get those better pilots in the long term. Yeah. If with a, with a little bit of a honey instead of a vinegar, yep. right? So, um, yeah. I, that was just a thought I had when you were talking about that. I was like, oh yeah, the great sheet thing. Yeah, it's so. it's, it's hugely important. And I hey, contact finally showed up, dog. We were able to bump our attenuation down a little bit, and uh, uh, what do you know? Link restored. Uh, let's um, get an airspace request in and get trucking out of here because we're, uh, we're we're surely approaching we're the almost last six back to the last six. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, cool. Uh, another uh, solid episode, man. I think this is like. This will be a good one. I, I hope. Uh, I agree. I hope all of our friends eat this. Eat this up. And take a little bit of it to heart. Uh, being an instructor, wow, and yeah. a teacher in the United States Air Force is, or should be, like a sacred role, and we should all te- take it as such. Uh, get yourself out of the instructional model or the uh, industrial model mindset. Uh, the industrial mindset, right, and. Think of yourself as a teacher and take on the moral responsibility of uh, creating uh, the best pilots that we could possibly fucking create. Because we're going to need them. We need them for the coming uh, China difficulties, let's say. Or pacing uh, challenges, China. I think, is, is the new word. So, all right. Um, yeah, I like this one. There was a, there was a lot of passion. <laughs> yes. Indeed, on both sides. So, uh, good night, all. See Don't know where